You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. There we go. We're back. That's psychedelic. That's a little, it's tripping me a little bit. This is stick on wallpaper. So we lived in an apartment across the hall. I mean, all wallpaper stick on. Good point. That is a fair, fair point. This is a big sticker that is that looks like wallpaper. So you could take it off. So this is actually, we moved across the hall a couple of years ago, or a couple of months ago, I should say. We took it off the wall over there and we walked it over here. And that was my biggest reason for not wanting to move. I was like, I'm, I don't want to move this this big sticker wallpaper. I don't want to do it. You could have just left it. Uh, we could, but we still wanted the design. I mean, look at it. It's nice. It hurts hurts my eyes a little. I just haven't seen that background. Yeah, I know. You guys chat all the time, and here I am just off on my own little island, not part of the Cool Kids Club. I actually am upset about this, Rich. So what, is it, what does it feel like being the guest on our, on our show, Kirk? Rich, you can go to hell. Kirk, it was nice of you to drop by today. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you need over here, boys? Or? The reinforced running public welcomes Kirk to win today. This feels strange, and I don't like it. I don't like the angle we're taking here, fellas. Rich, I'm hijacking this as my podcast again, and I need to know something. How does it feel to be a married man, Rich? The old ball and chain, it's good. I got, got the ring on. It feels nice. Um, but besides that, business as usual. Does your left arm feel a little heavier? Getting a little stronger. The the left ring finger is adapting nicely. It's coming along, getting some good size there. Um, But I I like the ring. Bracken, do you you rock your ring? Do you wear yours? I never take mine off. I shouldn't say never. I never took it off until the Minnesota Spartan race. So I made it, what, eight years? Seven years? And it got ripped off on Olympus. Remember that, Kirk? Uh, was that the Mountain Series race in quotes? I was there. Yeah, yeah you were there. there. John Penland's there. dad and I went back up the mountain later on to search for it. And eventually open racers were helping us and everything, and a woman found it. So do you, is it the metal ring or do you have... Yeah, it's white gold. White gold. It's not like the Quelo or the Enzo. I have a bunch of those. I never used them. But now that it got came off, like I broke my streak. My goal is to never take it off. Now that it's off, now I take it off every time I lift and I put a Kalo on. And then for cold races, I put a Kalo on. Or anything where like I've real technical rig race, I'll take up with the Kalo on. It just, yeah, I've started with one. I got one of the Enzo ones, a different brand. I right from the start, I was take, taking mine off just so it it that does feel a little weird. Even like rowing, it, it's a little uncomfortable. So I never I've never gotten used to it. Do either of your wives care if you take it off? They're not like Rich, what kind of vibe are you trying to put out over there? Going Nobody out wears... going out to lunch with the boys. Just leave the, leave yeah. the ring. <laughs> no, that's not, not a conversation piece. Haven't gotten, haven't crossed that bridge yet. It's been like three weeks. I like, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do like having it on. I really do. My, no, Lisa never said it. She appreciated the fact that I was going to try to keep it on forever. But she said, honestly, if I were you, I would just wear a Kalo ring because that's way more convenient. Uh, her brother, my brother-in-law, Neil, lost his, their first year of marriage, while he was at a bachelor party. Oh, no. That's a bad That's a bad story to kind of bring back to the, yeah. To the house. Yeah, that's the wrong weekend. Like, where, where, where's your ring? It's like, you'll never <laughs> guess what happened. 
<laughs> they were they were camping or something on the Mississippi River and they were out in the river and he just like threw a football or something the ring just flunk, right in the mm. rock and just gone. What's the percentage of people it? who believe that? Yeah. <laughs> so I lost it on a on the bachelor weekend, but the boys could no. vouch for me. Here's what I want to know. So I, you know, I'm still, I'm, I have never been married. So you, you got me there too. I guess I'm third wheel in it in that regard as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wear, when I want to get real fancy, I wear like a, just a ring on my right hand on the ring finger. And that feels real comfortable and nice. And once in a while, I just slip it over on the left hand just to see what it feels like. And I hate it. It bothers the shit out of me. Now, is that like metaphorical or foreshadowing or is it really an adjustment to switch hands? Just pure physiological. Yeah, from the emotional standpoint, I don't think I'm I, I can handle that type of question for you. you might have to <laughs> well, just, just, just we're just spitballing here. But I would think it'd be worse on my. Are you right hand dominant? Yeah, I would be. I would feel it'd be worse. Like it'd yeah. be like a lot of knocking on things on my right side. Like I barely notice it because I'm so right hand dominant that like my left hand just like it does nothing all day. So I, I barely feel it. Historically, I believe right hand outside of our country of the United States of America, they, they do right hand. Macaulay has, he's, he's married in the last year as well. And they got married in Budapest. His, he wears it on his right hand. I think you're allowed to. I thought you were going to tell me that most people are left-handed outside of the United States. And I would have definitely believed it if you would have went. Also that <laughs> went with that story. Nah. Um, I don't 90% know. 90% of the world is left-handed and colorblind. <laughs> we already uh, had that discussion. I didn't, I don't, I could believe it. I would believe it. But uh, didn't Batchers get his almost rip, rip his finger off one time at a Tough Mudder or something? That's why you're not allowed to wear it in, in factories or anything with machinery. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a great idea in OCR, just in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes Good sense. We don't work in factories. Yeah, it makes sense. When I wear my Kalo ring, that rubber grabs on things a little bit. I've thought times of wearing some on both hands. You think it's an advantage? All your fingers, <laughs> like a lineman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was doing wall balls with the Quelo. Uh, I'm going to stick with brand Enzo. That's my brand. You know, the, the, and uh, I could feel it like like hitting it each time, and it was a little bit bothersome. Yeah, but first couple times I played basketball after having a ring on, I didn't like it. We better at basketball though. I I mean, no, no instant. Nothing, nothing can make me better at basketball. You're already at the pinnacle. <laughs> i i've my my mediocrity ship has sailed oh yeah you, you can't you've already you're on the other side i thought you were saying you were already the best that there could be at basketball and there's no surpassing it but you're just on the other side of the hill and you're just never coming back there's no hill i've just been mediocre my whole life and i'm gonna stay there <laughs> right. i can roll into a gym after not playing for years and be just as mediocre as i would be if i played every day for years Oh, I wanted to ask you, what, who's your NBA comp? I, on, on, our, on the several shows that we had in the past, I never got a chance to ask you your NBA comparison as a player. I mean, the, the, the lazy, the easy comparison is Alex Caruso. Well, based on style of play or just based on sheer Both. appearance? Really? Both. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Def- defender with some sneaky athleticism and a, and a serviceable shooter. I always used to say Manu Ginobili back in the day. With the craftiness? He's a little more atypical in his movements. But yeah, I was a crafty athletic defender who could finagle some scoring, but not someone you'd ever call a shooter. Mm-hmm. Shot maker, but not a shooter, Rich. Yeah, if it's open, yeah, they're not going to be creating not much of a pass. Man who could pass. 
Alex Crusoe can play make a little bit. I, I'm comfortable actually. If, if if Alex Caruso were Asian or black or Saudi, I'd still be comfortable with with the Alex Caruso comparison simply game wise. And then you add in pale and bald and white, and it just That's a I, I can wear that one. That's a layup. Yeah. Who's okay. yours, Rich? Who's yours? Sim- similar to that, more of an energy guy. There's not a great um, comparison in the league now because my type of player doesn't make the league. But it'd be someone like a uh, like a Josh Richardson, someone who can sort of make plays but not great, can't really shoot, but is more on the on defender on, on defender side. So like a player who doesn't really see the court in this NBA. You know what's interesting about this conversation is that, like, if you're going to take two sports and then say, what is the, has the least amount of crossover where the audience is going to understand what you're talking about? <laughs> it could be a running podcast talking about basketball. We're playing to the niches here. Other sport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Come back next week when we talk about curling. <laughs> that might have a better trans, you know, transfer. I've never been. Never. My brother went, did it in, in Montreal. Is there curling places where you guys yes. live? Can you go? Yeah. Have you gone? One time. Once. I as well. All right. I, we didn't know this about each other, Kirk. Nice. Ah, learning still. Hosting. Look at this. We bring a third person into our marriage and suddenly <laughs> we start growing a little as individuals. This is great. They make us better. <laughs> I guess we'll just have to pay him for his time today. Hmm. Yeah, the, the invoice is coming. Curly Nice is one of the coolest things I've ever been on. It's, it, it's, it has little, it's like a reverse golf ball. It has little micro bumps on it all over. And you, it is the most slippery substance. <laughs> That's weird. Let's start. Off. It is, it is such a smooth ground type. It, you just push off and slide for days. It's fantastic. I had a lot of fun. Is it one of those things like ax throwing? Done that too. Why did you have to start over with the slipperiest substance thing? Were you embarrassed of something that you were about to know. say or? It just, it all felt weird. It's not the slipperiest substance known to man, but even just talking about that is strange. I don't know. Tom Brackens. I didn't feel comfortable with that line of conversation, so we got to pivot. All right. Rich, so we know what you're doing here today. This is our coaches series. Um, thanks for putting up with all my reaching out over the last month or so. You were busy <laughs> getting married and stuff. Timing was just poor. I was doing stuff. I think you asked the week that I was getting married. He's like, Hey, you got time like Friday. It's like, mm-hmm. I would, I really, really would. But you thought about canceling your wedding. Can't fit it. Can't fit it in. I didn't want to, didn't want to bring it up in terms of where this, where late in the schedule. That's understandable. Um, but uh, we should, I don't know how much you guys have, you know, chatted already. So maybe, you know, Bracken, you know, all these things, but I don't. So. Can I jump in? No, this is, this is, I have podcast to now. Wait, this <laughs> is we need to celebrate this. He is the second, third time appearing guest in our show's history. Hunter behind Hunter McIntyre. We've never had anyone other than Hunter get on three times. Great job. However, wait, I think this is my fourth. Fourth nutrition, nutrition, just you in general. And then we had the hybrid athlete training. Yep, this is my fourth. You've taken over. Extra long, awkward clap for that one. You actually were the first three-time hunter followed in your footsteps. Oh, that feels good. Feels nice. What I was going to ask you, let's not celebrate Rich too much, guys. Um, (laughs) Okay, I'm not salty. I'm just kidding. But um, (laughs) uh, 
um what what do you what have you been up to man like what's uh what's life like because i was surprised to see you jump into a stadium mm-hmm. i refuse to call it a stadium and then you told me he wouldn't be there which is why i bought a flight yeah, totally <laughs> <laughs> but like what do you what have you been up to in training like what's going on with you fitness wise and like what's coming up for you like before we dive into the coaches stuff let's just like fill us in on what's going on with you yeah for sure uh fitness has been good it, it i strategically did not plan to race too much in the fall just because I knew wedding stuff, honeymoon stuff, and not really being it's like training wasn't going to be the main focus that I had. I was still going to do it right and do it to the best of my ability, but to really kind of plan my whole lifestyle around racing was really going to be a tall order. Cause that's one thing that I, I like to do is kind of periodize how I live in terms of like, you know, going out and having drinks, you know, the food I'm eating or whatever. I like to like have set times where that's like on. So that I know my performance will be as good as it could possibly be. And that wasn't going to happen in the fall, right? Like there was, it was just gonna be so disjointed and the priorities needed to be around, you know, getting married. So I was still training, doing, but lifting a lot. I think after the last time I was on, I was talking about going into a hypertrophy phase. So I did that. So I'm up almost. So I was one, I'm up about 10 pounds since that was june i guess so it's not all muscle right like there's definitely some some fat being carried along with it but my running's come along pretty well and was able to hop into ocr stars and that went well and that was just literally a blend of everything where it's like run three miles fast lift some heavy weights and then do like a metcon piece which is a little bit of a, on the crossfit side of things you are not to interrupt but you might be the first guy who's run sub 15 in a three mile like within days of their honeymoon in like the world there might be like a niche record for that and i was not being responsible in cancun i was not like oh i got this three mile coming up i'm like no i'm in cancun i'm drinking tequila so i had like two days of what a 48 hour rule when you guys were in school did you even have like you couldn't there wasn't a 48 hour rule for the track team right like i think that's like a basketball or baseball thing where you can't you're not done unspoken rules you don't drink two days before an event like you didn't have that in track and field did you no, it, I mean, runners don't really worry about that, right? I, like, I think, yeah, they do it after they don't drink all week and then they go out afterwards and then they get back to business. Yeah. Right. So it's like not even spoken. Our coach wouldn't even like that, like drinking on the weekends, like really it should be like the whole season long. Like you were pro if you were really serious about if you were, were on a really good team, I doubt those dudes are drinking at all. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think BYU sobers up for nationals each year. <laughs> they're, they're able to pull it together. It's probably one of the major advantages in the, in the team thing. Like they don't have to worry about their kids going out and drinking. Yeah. You went on a week long honeymoon to Mexico and you came out and ran 14, what? 54 Something, for a yeah. three mile right mm-hmm. after. Yeah. So 48 hour rule worked, drank a bunch of water, got a bunch of sleep. You're kind of like an all in or all out kind of guy with your drinking and nutrition, aren't you? Like when we've had conversations, you're either completely dialed. Or you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to enjoy and then get back to the regular schedule. Is that right? Yeah. The nutrition, I'm pretty good most of the time. But for like the drinking and hanging out, it needs to be like all or nothing. That's like kind of what I tell myself. It's like, if I don't have one, I can't have 10. So like not even having one, you know? I can follow that logic very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And and I know that about like, we share that for sure, just from the amount of time that that we have hung out. Um, but yeah, it needs to be like turned off, but it wasn't turned off going into the three mile and it, the training was okay. I was able to train similar 
in Cancun, it was mostly treadmill stuff, but it was like a, a week I kind of tapered in. So just like doing a sharpening workout and then uh, being able to hit it so hard. You, you ran on your honeymoon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, my honeymoon started my running. I didn't run a step after my senior year, not qualifying for nationals at a last chance meet. I didn't. I've talked about this. I didn't cool down. I went and I got the double down from KFC, got on the bus, <laughs> and we went back home. <laughs> I didn't run a step until my honeymoon. No, and they haven't stopped since. Where would you go? We went to Hawaii and oh, we started, nice. Lisa and I started running together. And so my honeymoon got me back in shape, which I think is the opposite of most honeymoons. But it's like, it's part of the lifestyle, right? Like to, for me to really enjoy the the partying aspect, I just didn't want to completely feel like shit and just like really dig myself a huge hole. Not even if I had this competition coming, but that's just kind of how I'm on vacation in general. It's like, let me just try to balance out the way that I'm feeling a little bit so that it it's not yeah. awful the entire time I'm here, but may, but I may have been, I need to check the, I don't know where we check those type of records, but I would be willing. There's like a very small percentage of people who've been able to do that. Sub 15. Also gave, gave it a real run on their honeymoon. Yeah. Depleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, alcohol is a very hot burning calorie. It's the hottest, right? Yeah. There's, there's some heat activation to that and a 5k That'll bring out some kind of like rocket fuel, pure, pure fuel, just right pure out. Ethanol. Yep. I'm going to go got. ahead. I have more experience with this than either of you. And that is not true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, is, that is false as shit. Kind of a sidebar. Were you frustrated that OCR stars was a three mile instead of a 5k? Does it feel like the most podunk American run to do would be to run a three mile instead of a 5k? Since I've run the 5K so many times, I didn't really care that much. It changed the race to me for the better. Like that point one does kind of suck. Like it does. Mm. I save it for that point one until like I'm like at 2.9 or something like that to really push forward. So it actually started the kick of the race a little bit earlier. I was more frustrated last year when it was uh, six miles instead of 10K because that's something yeah. I don't I don't go after that often. But it was definitely Americanized. For sure. Yeah, it was. I ran the 5K. You did you did just for kicks? Yeah, and then I I just cut it down to a three mile for the time. You guys ever run on the track and let's say one lap ends up being like 0.26 on your watch, right? And so you had a bunch of people going out on the track running and they're stopping like 150 meters short of the three mile because that's when their watch dinged. And it's like a real problem. I don't think it was really addressed, was it? Because that happens like all the time. Oh, yeah. So that, they said in this, it had to be 12 laps, which is not three miles. That's short of three miles. And short I should have done it. Miles. I should have done it on track. Well, that's another problem with like 5K measures out well, it, like has a appropriate start and stop. 10K two, three mile and six mile. It's the start is, I don't even know where that would be. It's like halfway up the, yeah. the start front stretch. Yeah, 400 meters is 1,600 meters when you multiply by four. So you're already nine meters short of a mile. So you're going to come out of 27, 28 meters shy by the time you get to a full three miles, which is significant in a competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I should have done it on track. I really should have. But I just had a straight point to point uh, here in in Philadelphia where the, the cars were shut down on the weekends from like this main passage that parallels the river. Dead flat, just went 
went straight for it. So pick a day with a nice strong back wind and just rip. It was a nice day. It wasn't a windy day, but it was a nice day, which I think I got lucky for it for that as well. What'd you wear? Alpha flies. Had to. Is there a tipping point for you where you tip into Vaporfly? What what distance is that? Or are you just alpha? Does it just work for you? I think it just works for me with my the way that I land. I don't have a Vaporfly and I didn't it doesn't feel like the Alpha Fly noticeably feels much different than say the endorphin pro or even like the rc elite like it just because of that four foot bubble for me it just feels like it's doing a lot so i won't i wouldn't race for anything that would like matter (laughs) in anything but the alpha fly i don't think yeah and i ran i ran city field in the endorphin pro and i and i certainly had like a boost from that but i feel like it boosts my stride as the race goes on I don't think early on it makes me f- much faster, like tangibly faster. It prevents me from decaying and breaking down. Mm-hmm. Where the Alpha Fly boosts my stride from stride one. Almost immediately. Yeah. Every yeah. single stride of the entire thing, I'm faster. Whereas if I ran a 5K in the in the Endorphin Pros, I would just have a faster third mile than usual. But my first two would be pretty similar, I think. And I see they're more comfortable too, the Alpha Flies than the Endorphin Pros. I don't find those to be... A, I mean, the Alpha mm-hmm. Flies are it's a very unique fit but i the way that it feels underfoot is more comfortable to me than anything else i've ever tried so alpha flies just for ocr stars i'm glad that i have them for that reason (laughs) (laughs) what's the longest you could take them i did 10 uh but that's the longest i've done it's the longest race that i've done in the past like two years Mm -hmm. i would wear them for a marathon i think yeah i don't think they're too short or or too long in any distance what do you think you think you would eventually think it's too long I mean, if I had a gun to my family's head and I had to run a marathon, I'd be wearing the Alpha Flies. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I'd consider would be the New Balance RC Elite 2 for a marathon. Do you have those yet? No, I, I got to try them on one day. The, they're like the one, but with 30% more underneath. That's what I heard, that they feel more, more stable, yeah. less racy, but over a marathon. I'd want a boing. got to get a pair. Kirk, what would you wear for a marathon if... If you had ethics of shoes out the window and you just like gunned your head, had to run fast. The closest thing to a super shoe I've worn is the Hoka Carbon X, the original. Mm. Like I'm so off the radar here and I feel like those give me a little bump. So, I mean, just put a, put some rockets on my feet. Let me go. I guess I'll go, I'll go all with the rich. Oh my goodness. Imagine. You would benefit a ton. I think you'd be a vapor guy. From vapors. How forward lean you are. I think you would just like launch forward. I'll see you guys at the finish line then. <laughs> I mean, Rich and I are a little more up and down our running. Mm-hmm. Rich is the most upright of us all, I would say. Yeah. And I'm probably in between you two, but I think that helps Alpha. And I'm a forward leaner. Mm-hmm. The more the rocker is like a aggressive rocker, the more I think someone like you with that big, like your your center of gravity is way over your, your feet. My boobs pull me forward. It's yeah. travesty. Super yoked, man. They would load up that plate and you'd be slingshotting around the course. I like the idea of that. um, uh, Continue your story, Rich, what you've been up to. You walked us through that, and then we talked about your three-mile time trial, and then we stopped. And we got all, all... All down a different alley. Uh, then the So yeah, I've been lifting heavy as well. So the, there was a deadlift event, and that went okay, and a dead hang event. How'd that go, the dead hang? Say, okay, you... You won OCR stars. Spoiler alert. I won OCR stars. Yes. Big deal. But well, how'd you do in the dead hang event? I was curious. I actually PR'd my dead hang by quite a bit. I've never done in competition. 
so it, it was a deadlift that was it was a one rep max deadlift no belt no chalk no straps whatever then it was five minutes of max pull-ups with a 35 pound weight for men 20 pound weight for women not with a belt but again like a, like held between your legs and then it was a max dead hang and they just added up your scores so you, the way that it was laid out that the deadlift was disproportionately weighted in the final score unless you have a ridiculous dead hang which some people will because even if you have like a 600 pound deadlift which no one in the sport really would if you have a 10 minute dead hang the way the scoring kind of laid out the dead hang was worth more than that so the scoring was a little funny on it but um the deadlift went well. I, I pulled 407 for that. Then I did 40 pull-ups and the pull-ups didn't really matter. And then my dead hang was like 340 something, which is probably a minute. I think my most before that was about two minutes. And that's, you can shake it out, single arm, do as long as your feet don't touch the ground. Two arms. No, yeah, no single arm or anything like that. Oh, you couldn't shake out ever? You couldn't shake out at all. So that was really blowing people up on the, the so the pull-ups, what people were doing, they would do a max, almost a max set of these pull-ups, right? And they would just kind of blow up everything. So they would do like six or eight way to pull when they're fresh. And then by the time they got to the dead hang, they were pretty spent. And a lot of people were getting minute 45, like two and a half minutes was, was on the higher end that I saw, but I did singles. I did one and would come down, come pop, pop back up and just do Smart. one at a time. So that really saved my grip. And then, yeah, it was two hands on it the whole time. Atkins held on for eight and a half eight minutes. minutes. <laughs> and you did that without a single regrip. No shaking. No. Yeah. That's disgusting. That makes more sense why his hands were in arms were so like smashed afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's why he was, he won that event because he was able to hold on to it for so long. And if other people maybe were able to finagle it here and there, he like didn't have a big deadlift, like, and maybe people would have been able to catch up on that. But if we could do, if he could have done one arm at a time, what do you think he holds on to for like 12 minutes, 15 minutes? Like, where does that end? disgusting he's he's the world champion he's world champion for a reason um so it actually went well (laughs) so i got third on that event but it was almost just because of the the dead hang i think my dead hang was probably second or third best out of out of the entire field why do you think you hung better you're up 10 pounds obviously you've been doing strength work but why do you have a good dead hang compared to other times in your life i think that that's really it just the strength work just and because i really don't train like for dead hang i'll do like like power training with like shorter hangs or some weighted hangs here or there. And I have done those things or doing like things with like towel hangs, more like crush grip stuff. But I think just doing non hook gripped and non like mixed grip deadlifting and, and, and like rowing and things mm. like that have helped, but I don't really have a great explanation why the endurance was up so much. Um, Farmers carry, do you think? Maybe, but it's, it is a different position, right? Like, and I think even maybe just by the amount of pull-ups that I've been doing, I've been able to kind of hold the weight in my lats a little bit better, like kind of an, an engaged dead mm-hmm. hang, as opposed to just like shoulders to my ears and just make it all grip and forearms. I was, I was really able to kind of hold on to here for maybe a minute, but because I don't think a dead hang is a good use of time. Do, do you guys, in terms of co- coaching philosophy, I don't typically program dead hangs for myself or for the athletes I coach. Do you guys play in that? Like where do you think that's helpful? No, I do. I think as a finisher with people with limited equipment, a lot of people just don't have much to work with. Mm-hmm. I think it is, especially when people are first starting out and they can't get on one hand or they can't traverse monkey bars for like the beginners for sure. But it's a starting point. 
once someone can hang on for more than a minute, I don't think I've I don't think I've programmed a dead hang for anyone outside of a true novice in years. And maybe part of that's just laziness on my end cuz like you like I don't I don't program that cuz like for me it feels like bang for my buck isn't there. It's very skippable. It's super skippable too. I treat it like Kirk treats pull-ups. If I can hang for a short period on really heavy weight mm-hmm. or do grip switches, I don't feel they need to do a lot. Mm. And I feel like Kirk, you're the master of doing lots of heavy grip work. And so yeah. I think maybe I've absorbed that. And I, yeah, I've given up. I feel like if you can hang for a minute or two, like it's, I'm not going to waste time. I'll start with some sort of benchmark testing with people just to see if it is under 80 seconds or something like that to see really where their true strength is. Mm-hmm. But everything else, it is going to be like loaded, like 10 second holds with as much weight as you can off with like a towel or like, like a finger crimping or something like that. Or like the most I'll do is a minute weighted hold for people sometimes. Like if they, they need like just, it's always going to be weighted, never going to be like as long as you possibly can. Because again, it's just like boring. It's skippable. There's not a ton of skill transfer. Everybody loves a good slow death, don't they? <laughs> I do a lot of grip switches. So people like that are doing world's toughest or something, I might have them do mile run 50 grip switches, mile run 50. And 50 grip switches mm-hmm. is essentially a long dead hang. But it just feels more functional. It's a little, it's, it's how you're going to move through space a little bit more. Um, Even if I tell them you have to lock out. Mm. Interesting. Because then, then it's just a dynamic dead hang. Yeah. But then you don't have to hang for three minutes to get the benefit. Right. Yeah. That's one thing it is, it is hard to kind of program um, externally for how to get better at the movement through obstacles. Like I've kind of, I've had a hard time. Like if someone's like, I really just can't get through twister, even though, even if their dead hangs like two minutes or something, it's like, well, your strength is there. But like, I could tell you to like swing from a bar, but it's hard to like, not be able to see how people are moving. Have that same conversation with muscle ups all the time. It's like, well, you knew 15 pull ups, so you can do a damn muscle up. You just don't know what the hell you're doing with your body yet. So let's figure that out. Yeah, it's hard to program something like that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So continue. And then the final workout was a, 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 a Metcom piece that had a run in the front. And then you could split up this workout in two different ways. So you had to start and finish with a mile run. And then you could either choose to do 10 reps of five thrusters with 50 pounds and seven toes to bar or five rounds of 14, wait, 10 thrusters and then 14 toes to bar. Yeah. So five thrusters, seven. Yeah. And you got to choose which route you would take. But once you pick that route, you have to stay on that route, which I really like from a programming standpoint for something that's OCR specific, because it gives you the option to do like a dynamic move to get through, uh, an obstacle and a safe route to get through an obstacle. And it will like affect how long it takes for you to, to do it. I so. actually didn't like it. I hated it actually, <laughs> but hearing that explanation makes me rethink my stance. Was it the movements that you didn't like? No, I didn't like the option to choose. Oh yeah. Because it muddied the water I felt. And I don't think there's a way to say one is the same as the other. Mm-mm. So I don't know, but your explanation makes me think OCR stars is a reflection of OCR. So maybe I'm just limited in my scope. There we go. I'm here to expand. You guys now know about the curling thing. 
and the the, the ex- expansion of the OCR Stars Fork in the Road. But yeah, like there was wasn't that that event where it's the toughest? Was that an event where they actually had fast lanes? The ones that were overseas, yeah, toughest overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there'd be three different options that you could take, and one would be slower, one would be a little bit faster. But if you couldn't do it, it's like a risk, right? So for this one, it was riskier to do the five rounds. But it'd be faster because the transitions would be less. But just like the demands of it was were, were probably a little bit over the head of almost everybody that could do this event. Lauren Weeks probably did five rounds. And then outside of that, I don't think anybody did. Hunter looks like he struggled with it. Did he do the five rounds? No, I thought he did 10. And I thought I saw him taking breaks. It like there's real muscle fatigue for those toes to bar. Like the thrusters, you know, to, they weren't that heavy, like for, for 10, it would have been a problem, but for five, it was just short enough that you could kind of get through. So I got to, I broke up the toast bars in like round eight, nine and 10. And then that second run. So the first run, you know, it's fast, right? Whatever you want it to be. I was thinking, what, what would you guys think from a, I was looking at it from my 5k and I was like, maybe I'll add X amount of time to my three mile split for an event that I figured was going to take around the same time. Like the time domain wasn't incredibly different. So I was like, maybe I'll just add a couple this minute time to my mile. And then that will kind of put me in a better pacing for that last mile or, or the, the gym stuff. What, what would you think you would do for that first mile? Conservative. I'd be like, I'd go on like five thirty, which would be relaxed for sure. I feel like anything front heavy like that, if you blow, if you burn it too hot, you're screwed. What did you go out in? Uh, 507. So I, <laughs> I was, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, let me add 20 seconds to this, like, and, and, and 20, 20, 25 seconds. But I knew at the end, it was like, okay, it's me. You know, Atkins could beat me. Cause he was like two points behind me going into the last event. And I was like, my main advantage here is the run. So like, have to capitalize on and i knew the the middle part wasn't going to be i was it, like i didn't think that would take too much out of the the gym session and like it, it really didn't you know it may have taken out a little bit from the the last mile and i would have thought it would have taken out of the toast bar kirk and i talk about this all the time that if we want to jack ourselves up before like a jacksonville or an ocr shorter fast race we do pull-ups or grip switches in between fast running mm. because suddenly they're really miserable after high heart rate. The- so I would have actually been on board with Kirk if I did that one and I skipped it. I would have run about th- just faster than threshold my first mile. Yeah. But you didn't have issues on the I toaster bar. I didn't have issues on toaster bar or the thruster piece. And like, there's a skill component. This was probably the only event that had any real skill component to OCR stars at all. And there is like a toast to bar, like a CrossFit style that is like kipping and faster. And there's some know-how to it to kind of string them together. And I have those for up to seven reps for sure. So I think that was definitely a benefit on my end to have like my CrossFit experience with that. I thought the breathing thrusters and toast to bar are both two that you have to, you have to get into a rhythmic, like you can't breathe you can't exhale or inhale at the wrong time or you're, you're all out of whack. And mm-hmm. I thought if I was running too hard, it's going to breathing might be my limiter here. So still like 12 seconds, I guess, slower than my 5k pace going into that, okay. you know? So, so you went 507. What'd you close with coming out of the, all those rounds? The running after it, 
was so compromised. That's where the breathing like went out the window. I thought mm. I was going to be able to finish some some semblance of it, but it was like five fifty seven or something. It added fifty seconds to mm. it. It was brutal. If you had to do it again, mm-hmm. what would you do? I don't know. Did did front loading the run take anything from it, or was it all the thrusters? You figure it had to take some. That's the only place where I really could have done anything. I, like I don't necessarily know how much I could break it up in the gym to justify how much time it would give back. You know, like if I would take more. If you had to do just the work and then the second mile, how much different would it be? Would the second mile still be like a 550? Uh, maybe like a 530 high or something like that. I think it would still add on 30 seconds. It was pretty brutal. It was more brutal than I thought. So that 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 could be a good combo next time you want to get something real compromised going. Because you're right, like it is like it does compress your diaphragm so much in those thrusters. Like and it's loading your skeletal system. So it's like it might not seem like an OCR specific movement because it is so it's so much pushing and pressing, but the compromise feel from it was yeah, as much as I felt from from anything. Even like the sled right. and the high rocks. Yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. how it felt. I throw thrusters into my compromise sessions a lot. I mean, if you're being crushed by 120 pounds of sand on your shoulders, it's no different than the feeling of a heavy thruster when you reverse momentum out of a squat and back up. It feels the same. They'll sell a maneuver in full effect, core mm-hmm. fully engaged, posture having to be kept in check. I think so. I think it translates. I would have told you going into that that Atkins wouldn't have had a chance against you because he's he's kind of freakishly strong for the type of work that he does in the gym. Mm-hmm. But he's like gorilla strong where it's like pull and squeeze. But if you ever watch him do actual movements, like everything he does as an athlete is chest big, like expanded. But when you watch him do lifts, he has the, I haven't, I don't have a front rack position round to him. Mm -hmm. And you could see thrusters were going to become a real, if you, if you're a rounded body thruster or wall ball, you can't breathe. You can't get depth. And if you don't have that shoulder, you know, flexibility in a front rack, you can't bounce a thruster. And you can't breathe. He's probably catching them on his shoulders, right? And then squatting instead of like coming directly into it. And, le- and like almost front yeah. curling them down mm-hmm. into a yeah. squat. Like he's a freak, but that's technique. That's almost like, right. That's almost along the skill lines of things. Right. And I think that yeah. that, that happened a bunch. And I like, I thought the same thing. But I wasn't going to rule out that he would just all of a sudden be awesome at it because like, right. why would you <laughs> like, how could, how I couldn't, I couldn't think that way. And like, if Kent or Megita was able to kind of slide in front of me, it's like, okay, then it, anything could happen on this. That's true. But I did win the event. So it went well. Then you won overall. And I won overall. So Sierra Stars went well. So it was just really, it was nice because it was very much in line with how I was training. I was like, okay, I need to get bigger. I need to get stronger while staying fast that was kind of how i trained leading into this without necessarily needing it to be specifically pushed toward ocr stars so it was nice that like the fitness piece like all the tools are kind of are here right now that's and i think you should remind people listening because it has been a bit why you moved to that style of training because the last time we had talked you had run 52 like what oh nine or something Mm. 52 10 teens in a 10 mile mm-hmm. like you were as fast as the average person could ever like like if anyone ever ran 52 minutes for a 10k they they'd be thrilled out of their mind and you thought you know what you know, i need to do is 
I need to get stronger. <laughs> so, so right. like explain that. Cause most of us, our listeners come from the, I'm probably strong enough or I'm probably blank enough, but everyone's faster than me that I want to be. Yeah. And, uh, so just like the, the, how eye opening the high rocks event was, it just, there's a level of strength that needs to be accounted for in, in those events. And I'm, I'm starting to see it with the athletes who are starting to reach out and want coaching for those events. Like they're the ones who are starting to do really well. It's almost flipped. You know, like if someone comes from the gym background and wants to get good at OCR, it's like, all right, you got a long road ahead of you. It's going to be a lot of aerobic conditioning stuff. Like the strength piece that you have, it's already like way beyond what you need. You're just going to need to like run and it takes forever, right? It takes forever to get that much better. But if they're coming, if those people come into the high rock space and they already have like this base of strength, they're pretty good. <laughs> they, ha they have a better chance of improving their position with just some aerobic work because the strength piece is so important that a runner like myself would need to really gain that that strength piece. Uh, and luckily that doesn't take as long as building aerobic strength. So I saw that and I was like, okay, I have the aerobic piece there. It's already well beyond even what I would need for like a high rocks event or an OCR really for that matter. And I just need to put some strength to it and see if I can kind of meld the two together and really put a focus on the strength and, and body composition wise and putting like a focus on the nutrition, trying to make sure that I'm able to add muscle while still doing aerobic work, because that was a piece that I don't think outside of CrossFit, I guess a lot of like sports performance is geared toward, right? Like getting better at endurance while getting jacked. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily something that people think uh, blend together. So like, all right, well, I'm going to see if I can put these pieces together this way. So nutrition was a big part of that too. And eating a lot, eating a lot of food to get there. There are templates for getting jacked mm -hmm. or becoming powerful, which are not the two same thing. Mm -hmm. And there are templates for getting faster or more endurance. But every time you try to do both at the same time, it's still an experiment of one. It really is. So like you see like, who, like who are those? Like Hunter's kind of one of those stories now, or like, uh, mm -hmm. what is it? Like Nick Block who did the squatted 500 and ran sub five minute miles. Like guys like that who are still like these freak of nature, but they are like the only ones who could kind of do that. And even those guys, even Hunter, I would say, despite being an endurance athlete for the last decade, I wouldn't say he was ever a fully realized runner like he didn't have his 10 years of uninterrupted run training he had 10 years of uninterrupted endurance training with 15 different training plans and styles throughout there i don't think we ever saw a fully actualized hunter running yeah so even when we see his stuff we don't know if it's despite or because of mm -hmm. interesting we're, we're mostly when someone comes like a, a fully realized runner it's like who then turns to get jacked yeah it's Ryan Hall, right? Who is no longer a runner, like flat out. Like he doesn't necessarily have that, like in any capacity anymore. Cause he doesn't, cause he put all of his time into getting yoked, which he is, which he definitely is. He's gigantic, yeah. but it's you and it's Kirk and it's mm -hmm. Ryan Woods, people that spent time realizing they're running and then spent times getting time, getting strong. I think those are our our only data points throughout history of people that try to do both simultaneously. Cause you're right. The best runners give up running to lift and the best lifters never become great runners. And 
looking at it, I wanted to approach it from like really heavy on the nutrition side of things, which we did talk about on the nutrition episode a little bit, but also last time we talked a little bit about like how to kind of manipulate the, the macros of things. And that was a piece that I thought isn't necessarily accounted for a ton with these. It's like, okay, you're, you're jacked. Uh, the way you get jacked is you work in your hypertrophy rep ranges, right? You, more volume is going to get you the more jacked in the room. And like, and the better, best way to do it, get your aerobic capacity is more volume. And like, then they just kind of put pulling them and moving around, moving things around in a progression, but taking both sides of it and accounting for it from the nutrition standpoint was something that I wasn't sure about. And something you don't really hear about it that much, right? It's like, so I was still kind of eating almost like a bodybuilder, you know, with the idea of trying to put on mass, but still doing the aerobic style of work. That's the foot you have to lead with if you're going to do a lot of aerobic volume, but still try to gain muscle mass. You have to eat like a bodybuilder. You yep. can't just forget about that. Yeah, if you're not having a huge surplus, you're just spinning your wheels, brother. Then you're just tired all the time and not growing, and then you're just like banging hey, your head against the wall. You just you're just doing more stuff, you know, and you're like just more stuff. you're just doing more stuff, which is like, yeah, I guess you could try. It might work for a very short amount of time. What was your gut like? Because the for the people that not that haven't experienced it or known someone that's tried it eating like a bodybuilder is a borderline around the clock chore where runners eat in blocks in order to be able to run with no gastric distress. Mm -hmm. Was this an issue for you? Were you running feeling full or did you time it decently well? Yeah, I was able to time it. Okay. And just over the years of like really focusing on making sure my nutrition is, like ready to run with, like I've been able to eat a little bit more around my runs, like almost by training for the past maybe six or seven years, like make, like trying to get in, get in things close to a run. So no, I didn't have too much of that. And, you know, just doing like, and not and doing little tricks, like, like using liquids, like quicker absorbing, uh, macronutrients. I actually, what was clutch at first, I was just going to drink a bunch of milk. I was going to go go mad have you heard that like the <laughs> gallon of milk a day old school yeah, bodybuilding yeah. stuff i wasn't gonna go ahead i wasn't gonna go ahead and do all that but i was like yeah milk that makes sense you know there's there's some fat there's some protein there's some carbohydrates there it's liquid but i actually then went and got just like one of those straight up like super mass one million powders and that, those were actually clutch and because they're just like really quick carbohydrates and and whey protein both those things absorb really quick so that really helped on the gut i mean that would wreck a lot of people's gut, just like milk would, though. Yeah, right. Because it's it's still like dairy product, you know. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that way. That I don't necessarily have anything like stopping me from my GI tract. But those things are clutch, and they taste awesome. They taste so good. But they're pro. They're like it's definitely the same as like ice cream. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just like a ton of calories. So we saw a snapshot. And was I wrong? Were you actually low fifty one in your ten mile? Uh, like fifty one mid, I think it was five oh seven. It was a very favorable course. It was like Magita said, a Magita certified course. Still, I I was thinking fi fifty two low, but it was fifty one low to mid, mid. So I'm sorry I sold you short. That's okay. But we, so we we've seen your fitness when you were based on running. Now you went up ten pounds, added a lot of strength, a lot of mass, and we saw one snapshot of a solo three mile. That was what four fifty seven. Yeah, four fifty eight ish for mm -hmm. three straight miles solo. So. Does that snapshot give us a good picture of where your running remained throughout this process? Or was there like some fall off point shorter or longer where you realize my running's not the same anymore? So yeah, a lot of the aerobic work was spent 
um, on like the concept to bike and like the er like ski erg and the rowing a lot when I was doing a lot of the aerobic work with the strength work and only just because the running volume wasn't there to begin with. So I was kind of coming out of high rocks in Chicago and my running really wasn't very voluminous for that first half of the year, just because like different injury concerns here and there. So I was kind of starting without a huge running base, which I think was helpful for me. Like, I'm not sure if I was running, you know, 60 miles a week, if I would be able to just do the work without feeling just so beat up just because running can be so damaging that way. So I was kind of coming back into running without a ton of volume or intensity. So it was like kind of coming out of into running uh, after any injury or after any time off. So I did my first 5k in August, like mid August. And I was like 1605. And I was like pretty happy with that with basically just off of straight up aerobic stuff. So I think my aerobic system was able to just prop up my fitness to, to that point before I started really working on specific, like 5k and speed working things. So I still kind of blocked it out, but it was basically just aerobic stuff for a long time. So, I mean, I'm, so I don't know. I don't know if I was trying to stay fast, but I like tried to get fast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. My, my, my thinking there, which I don't know if that really came through in the question was that prior to this, you mm -hmm. could run just about any race and do just about any competition outside of CrossFit or High Rocks. Now you're ready for High Rocks or maybe CrossFit, but are you now? Have you lost the ability to do all the others as well, or can you? Are you still as good as you were at the others, but now you've added it? Like, is it at expense of all the others, or have you just folded that in? Maybe a little bit, and I think it, that would just be like where I would have to point my training. I think I could get back to the places where I needed to go if I had an event to prepare for. I mean, I I mean, I'd hope, and I hope that that three mile was kind of proof of that concept is that, okay, maybe this wasn't like the year before I ran 1507 solo or 1504. And then, but I weighed 162 pounds. In a full 5k. In a full 5k. Yeah. Right. So, Would you come through the, the three mile in there? I'm not sure. So whatever 453s are. 1430 or five. Yeah. So you were five seconds per mile faster. Mm -hmm. And weighed. And I weighed 12 pounds more than that, more than that, like 15 pounds more. So like there's, I think there is going to be some trade-off, but I thought that before, you know, I thought that I had trade-off when getting into OCR, when I was in uh, a collegiate runner, a high school runner and one, uh, weighed 155. And then that PR I was telling you about where I was like 162 or like 165 or the year before I ran a 10 mile PR when I weighed 167, I was like, okay, like I don't necessarily need to be what I think I need to be from a body composition standpoint, as long as the training's there and it's, it just all, it all, it all makes sense. And there's consistency around it. And there, there, there's aerobic pieces and just like having it built out in a way that just makes sense. But I'm guessing there's going to be some sort of drop off at some point. I don't think it, I don't think it's where I am now, but I mean, like, but you're seeing what Magida's doing, you know, and he weighs like 190 something. You're seeing like, you know, what Hunter has done, but I think Magida's doing it a little bit better in terms of like how fast he's running. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, He's a better Clydesdale runner than Hunter is. He he's just a, like everyone else in the world, a, one gear below him at that the mixed format. Right, right. That that that's the mixed thing. It's a little bit more specific, I would think. But 
he's pretty fast, you know, and he weighs even, I don't know, 13 more pounds than I do now. So I don't, I'm not necessarily going to cap myself on where I think it should be, but I'm probably going to pause it for now to see how well I perform at this specific weight and the specific body composition and seeing if then like where I need to go from that. And like, is it, and like I said, is it a trade-off or is it because of the training or like what kind of pieces then do I need to kind of slide in to get the res- the results that I'm looking for? And when is that? When do you get to test? Uh, High Rocks, Chicago. I was hoping High Rocks, Madison was going to come hang out. Yeah. Uh, bummer. Yeah. Out. What, wouldn't you think like, I, I don't know, I, I guess I don't know how you feel, but I would think just your ability to push through work would translate to like, you know, back to the muddy hour long Spartan courses. Like, cause obviously you're running only took you so far in those type of events. And now like you're only used to working hard, well compromised. I would be, I would think like who gives a shit what your 5k metrics are. My guess is if you go toad some lines again, I don't know if you have a desire to, but it might even be better. Like if you talk about the racing scene and OCR and the spectrum, what does your gut tell you there? Yeah, I think I think my fitness is the best it's ever been, no matter what my weight yeah. or what I look like, what it is. And even since two and all through 2020 and all through 2021, I think it's better than what it was in 2019, which is really the last time I had done anything. I got my butt kicked in freaking city field though. Because it's just like, I think the specificity of things is just not, and I just haven't been. So I'm sure if I went down to mm-hmm. Jacksonville for the first race in mud in two years, like I'd probably get worked unless I moved my training specifically to trails and mud, you know, yeah. which is just like, it's, it just doesn't necessarily work. So if I was to do that, it would just be, because I don't know how specific I'd be able to get in, in for muddy OCR technical stuff right now. Yeah. I was thinking about that city field race though. And I, it seems like high rocks and stadiums would align really well, but they kind of test the opposite tests of it's still compromised in work output, but high rocks is sterile and it's straight line. Mm -hmm. Like you may blow up and you have a thousand meters to get it together and roll into the next thing. And stadiums are nothing but stop starts and actual turns. 90 to 180 degree turns, which are never tested in high rocks. So mm. it's almost like stadiums shortcut you from ever getting to your true capacity. It's just like any Spartan race. It really is a Spartan race indoors just because of the stairs. There's like some climbing, you know, you have to navigate the obstacles. So it is very specific. So I think people do want to, I mean, it was the closest thing to a high rocks or deca fit before there was a high rocks or deca fit. Yeah. But those things are different. I, I, and that was eye opening at city. It's like, Oh, okay. Like this is still like a skill-based sport. All you have to do is look at the podiums three mile times from OCR stars and they were reversed. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. We came in and we said he won't be an issue. Cause he just ran what? 17, 26 for three miles. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I looked at you and said, well, I can't run with him. Cause I just ran 1626 for three miles and he just ran 1450. And it was the opposite. Like none of us ever got to use our running. No. All we got to use was our start stop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, you did. You, you said you like got whooped at city. I don't know if you got whooped, but you also didn't get to use your fitness. That's not the test you're looking at right now. Right. And that wasn't the, and like, I'm glad I did city field just because I think, yeah, kept my elite status 
just in case for next year. So I had to check that off. Um, <laughs> you got yours too, kept yep. your streak. So, and then it was just like, op- I opened it. Like, oh, my climbing is actually bad. Cause that would, that's what it felt like. Even those stairs, how short they are. I was like, oh, this is like a climb in any Spartan race. And this feels not good because I haven't been doing it. <laughs> Isn't that how you feel at the end of every Spartan race? Is you're like, yeah, I just never was able to fully access my fitness. I don't even care if it's a beast, like where running does the talking. You're still like, eh, I couldn't figure out how to grab all of it today. Like that's like the nature of it, isn't it? And the shorter the race, the more that rule applies. Has there been a course where you feel like you have been able to do that? Because I feel like I feel the same, Craig. I feel like I've done and I'm depleted, but I'm not that. I'm not stumbling over the line. You know. Flat dry courses have the most potential, but, but, but I, like I, what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think you guys are right with the skill component. The only times I've ever felt like I got my fitness out of a race is when the race aligned with the specific workouts I was doing. Mm. Like I felt it in a mountain race. I felt it in a stadium for sure. I felt it in a stadium, but it's when I was doing stadium work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can feel it without the skill component. Cause the skill is almost like the built-in rev limiter. Like we said with Atkins with thrusters, if you can't do thrusters, you, you're not even going to like access that final level of work. And that's a, a great example because his last mile in that fork in the road workout was like 20 seconds faster than mine. Yeah. But it probably <laughs> took him twice as long to do gym stuff, you know, cause he's not ready to, he's not, he, he can't go through those skills. And this is what CrossFit is too, right? Like CrossFit to me, like, you know, it's the fittest in the world or whatever. But it's still just so skill centric that all you, if you can't do handstand push ups, if you can't do muscle ups, if you can't do chest to bar pull ups, like you're going to be limited on the skill of things. So you're never really going to be that tired to really get to your top end fitness. And, you know, Spartan Race does that to everybody. Kirk, what race, and then Rich as well, have you crossed the, and I think it has to be a good race. Cause I don't know if you can feel like you maxed your fitness out if you're going backwards in the race, <laughs> but what, what races have you had where you crossed the line successfully thinking, I think I got my fitness out of that course. That wasn't a pure running. Cause obviously you feel it in every 5k. Feel it in 400. Yeah. <laughs> but what have you felt it in? In OCR? Or have you? Yeah. Yeah. I felt it uh, four times to be exact in hmm. five years of racing OCR twice in Chicago no, three times in Chicago, 2017, my first two wins, and then 2018 at the U.S. National Series race where I was fourth, fifth. Me and Cody Moda had a good battle, and I was able to access there, I think because I was so engaged with him back and mm-hmm. forth. And then Seattle, 2019, and then maybe Tahoe in 2019. Felt like I was able to... You're going to count Seattle? You were so dead. 20, 2018. I was fourth in Seattle the year before. Maybe it was 2018. 2019 is where we looked at each other like, hey, we're doing terrible, aren't we? I was in like hypothermic dysmorphia. (laughs) It was like my body wouldn't do what I wanted it to. Okay, but the year year before went better. Okay, okay. Yeah, but but the theme was is like before Tahoe, not only did I go out two weeks early, which I do think helped even if it's just on the, the cerebral front, but all I was doing was up and downward. I didn't run flat like once. And then on those all flat races, they were flat and pretty fast, even if they were muddy. And I ran those trails every day. So the Bracken's point, I was doing the appropriate work and kind of all in on that terrain. So I would say yes, actually, but how many races have I run? Well, I think I've run 40 Spartan races and I have four, (laughs) like that's nothing. That's a great 10% of the time. That's terrible. Is that maybe the thing that keeps us coming back? 
it's not the sport. It's the fact that you can't be satisfied like a 5K because you always cross knowing I fell apart early or I didn't get to use it all. And there's just mistakes you can make. There's so many. There's like hard to have like a perfect race. Never thought of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would say there was Palmerton 2018 where I was engaged in a race the whole time that felt very satisfying and probably stadium races out at like, like fall stadium races after a season of OCR stuff, because the terrain isn't as necessarily the problem, but I can still climb. I can still kind of navigate through obstacles. Um, Cause for me, a lot of times it's terrain, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I just can't, I got to slow down because I'm going to kill myself. I think even if you do win or run the perfect, even the races I'm talking about those four, like you still cross the finish line. There's 10 things you're like, I could have picked up time here. I could have done better here. I think like you're never really satisfied. Sure, you're satisfied to win or achieve a podium, but you always know you have time on the table, right? Don't you think? So it probably is something to it. I think about this with in terms of experience for the racers. Like, is there a point that think it will diminish based on how much experience you get? Or will you just get better at Spartan races in a linear fashion based on the more experience you have because the more because of the different scenarios that you'll face all the time. Are those Philly sirens or Milwaukee sirens? Philly. Okay. Yeah. They have a little more of a harsher bark to them. Things are yeah, they gotta get to where they're going. Yeah. What um okay, we need I know we're gonna end up bullshitting a bit about these questions, but I just one last thing on you, Rich, before we get to like philosophy and all that, you know, fun stuff is what are your plans for next year then? Are you all in on the fitness racing as some love or hate to call it or what are you thinking uh i've been calling it hybrid racing that's right hybrid racing sounds sexier yeah that sounds way better fitness yeah. fitness racing sounds like people running with a with a camera up yeah you, it, that sounds recording there. Steph aerobics is like a station sort of thing yeah yeah it sounds douchey from the start like you could just like you can't get in without a blue check mark <laughs> yeah you oh. just see you boys kirk's kirk's in kirk is in that's see pretty cool boys. you'll be there yeah Big time, obviously. Uh, yeah, so I'll be doing the hybrid stuff. Next race is Chicago in mid-January. And then after that, uh, the only other one I really have on the calendar is High Rocks World Championships, which I would have to qualify at some point. So if it doesn't happen in Chicago, I'll have to do either New York or boston or there's like there's a couple la and 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 dallas so qualifying for that is gonna have to happen considering we are like really close to a cross-country move making going to colorado uh at the end of january so amy's going out there next week to try to find find a spot for us to to post up in why give me the top three reasons why the move you you need reasons to leave philly <laughs> did you did you just hear what dude I, you love your city you you boasted about your city and stood on that ship you died on that rock i represent for it i've been yeah. here for so long and like it's just there is needs to before we really get into like the family planning things just kind of like an adventure we can take together and it's a place that we both can see ourselves and just like trying to set something up a, a different life up for each ourselves for a while um Definitely want to, I think the quality of life will probably be a little bit better in terms of just weather and, and just like uh, ability to be in the outdoors. And we just want to see if, if we like that kind of thing, you know? So it's more, it's more of an adventure. Has nothing to do with endurance performance and moving to elevation. That's Well, I mean, it's like a byproduct of it. That would be uh-huh. nice. But I mean, so I might be acclimated by the time Vegas comes <laughs> around. <laughs> But even if it was at sea level, we would probably be there for sure. We went out there 100% for training. 
and realized we were way better parents out there. Just happier people. Yeah. And, and you just have like, you're out your door, you're on trails, you're in public parks, you're the kids were, we were always going for hikes or walks or like nature adventures. It's just a little different than when you're in the city and you have to get creative to find green space. Yeah. And it's like where we are, I have to plan, like, I, I feel trapped here. You know, if I'm, if I'm not back, I can't park. If I'm not back by like 2 PM, I'm, I'm like looking for park. I'm parking like half mile, three quarters of a mile away from home. Like it just takes everything a little bit longer. It's just a little bit too crowded. Yeah. I've just been here a while, you know? Yeah. Kirk, like you, you, you're, you, you moved out. You're getting out. I went out. I'm getting out. Get out. But I'm going to go where, you know, get a little bit more red blood cells going, but that's the main thing. So I'm not sure what the, what the race schedule is going to look like between February to May. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, maybe I was thinking about this. And then the DecaFit has a world championship mm. now. Isn't it awesome that Hyrox set up their world championship in, in Vegas? And then like DecaFit's like the little brother of Hyrox. And they set theirs up in Atlantic City. I was like, oh, this is just perfect. <laughs> this is exactly how it should be. Cute. So, so yeah, Spartan will start up a stadium championship and put it in Reno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that, that's not till like the late fall. And then, you know, maybe, maybe some mountain races in there, depending if I get to some trails, some, some Tahoe action. What do you guys think the uh, world championship is going to be? If we're going to speculate, you think they're going to just go run it back? I was given some information today that maybe it could be true. So. I think it'll be there. And based on Bracken's logic of it, they're not a one-trick pony. They typically sign contracts with venues, don't they, Bracken? Yeah, and I, my my Spartan connections are almost entirely cut off at this point, unfortunately. But uh, for a while, I was privy to a lot of the the information. And most of these venues have in the contract, they have right of first refusal. And so for next year, if that mm. contract's in there, let's say they go to Morzine or Andorra or Killington or something, and they're like, hey, I bid you $2 million. Abu Dhabi has the right to match first. So restricted restricted free agent, not unrestricted. Yeah, Tahoe had that, and they finally declined the option. So they'll probably shop it around, right? They'll shop it. I mean, they'd be smart but, to. Yeah, they probably won't get that type of an offer. They might have signed a two-year or a three-year with an option for right, right of first refusal after. But usually... You, I mean, every single venue they've chose for the last four to five years for U.S. National Series was bid-based. It wasn't because this is the coolest course we can get. Mm-hmm. And I think Abu Dhabi exemplified that. So, yeah, I'd be I'd be shocked if they're not back. Me too. Do you guys wish you would have went? Like, if, if, if being <sighs> no. fit, like, next year, if, like, fitness is there. Yes. Yeah. Kirk, what about you? Were you, were you, you have FOMO on it? I'll be there next year if it's there. It's happening. Oh, just to, just to rub my face in my bad decision making, if anything. <laughs> like, I'm, I like deep. throwing money around. Yeah, let's, let's go do it at my own expense. Feel bad for yourself midway through the course. That's a great, great yeah. place to do it. <laughs> exactly. It's such a cool vacation. It's such a once in a lifetime travel. You know what, though, Bracken? You are very good at bear crawling. I've seen it firsthand. And half of those climbs were bear crawling, Bracken. You could have just sputtered up that hill. That was the most depressing thing I've ever watched in a race. Could have been your jam. You could have been everybody moving like ants, and then there's Hedgehog Brack and just burrowing <laughs> up the hill. Be like, there he is. There's that. There's that stadium guy. I saw. On Col- on Colderose's IG IG live. I, I don't think Bracken. we have to worry about me contending for a, a, a world championship at a Spartan Beast. 
Well, I don't think we have to put that on anyone's right. Listen, Bracken, you're the Tennessee Mile champion. Six hour, if you can win that, you can win anything. Darn right. Someone will draft you. Someone will draft you. All right, Rich, before we move on, I have one final question about your your strength to hybrid running journey. Mm -hmm. And this this should be a pretty short answer, Kirk, and then you can get into your bullet point. But I, I feel like I did your, I did the poor man's version of the Rich Ryan progression. I was relatively fit and fast, but I was light. I was probably like 168 when I did my first high rocks, mm-hmm. 169, but fast. And all my Sims, my Sims were too light, but I was running 315 to 321 on all my Ks. Wow. Feeling like I was staying pretty well. But again, looking back, I was lunging with, with, with 50 pound rec bag instead. And I was doing 45 pound farmers carry. So I didn't understand like the true weight of it, but I was, uh, the point is I was fit and fast and I was light Mm -hmm. and lean for me. And then I went into the uh, Hunter, write my, tell me what to do for my programming. I'll write it. Tell me what to do for my lifting. And I followed exactly. And I did that. And I got up to 181 for my next competition. You know, that's pretty, that was pretty big for me, but I didn't follow the running as well as you did because I was awaiting meniscus surgery. I was to the point I couldn't do much running, but I got to Chicago and I wasn't much better on the sleds hmm. and I was worse on the walking lunges actually. And I was better on some of the things I, overall my time was better, but I, it wasn't the epiphany moment I was waiting for. And I realized that my truth lay somewhere between there and Dylan Scott, mm-hmm. the high volume strength work with low weight and just like the Hobie call approach where I'm going to do 3000 lunges a week rather than 30 squats. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do a ton of pull-ups rather than weighted pull-ups. And I, I'm oversimplifying, but my truth was somewhere in there. I had left out the Metcon style, the, the, the circuits, the hit, the endless body weight reps. And that is where I really lost a lot of time as well on the table. So I got done with the thinking, all right, the bulking was cool but I'm missing too much function. Do you think you're going to get to Chicago and have an epiphany moment? Like it all worked. Or do you think there is still going to be a bit of balancing to your equation? I mean, I hope so. That'd be great. If I was just like, perfect, I'm good to go. But yeah, Mm -hmm. like I I would imagine there is going to, so you're saying there was like a fitness component that in the middle there, you kind of left by the wayside by wanting to get stronger and bigger. I lost work rate. Right. I was significantly stronger on every single lift and my walking lunges were worse and I wasn't really any better rowing and I was not better on farmer's carry. Mm -hmm. Like the things that require functional output, I still was coming up shy on because I think I still just couldn't fire and fire and fire and fire and fire and fire under a slight load. I could fire once or twice under significant load but I was missing that in between piece. Mm-hmm. So you're saying if you had like, so this is what I'm going to kind of move into now is now that um, I have kind of the strength where I'd like it to be and the running is, is better and I'm able to do a little bit more volume is now to work on some of the more specific mm. output pieces. I'm looking to do it. So you are, you're going to tie the two together before Chicago. Oh uh, yeah. And like the next, so what is it? I have about eight, eight weeks from today, I think, or from this weekend. So yes. So right now I'm working on a lot of more uh, bigger aerobic capacity type workouts that are going to have some of the functional pieces in there just to get used to the feeling of things. Specifically, mm-hmm. like I said, lunges and and sled push. Those are two things that like have hurt me in the past. And I just did a sim last week just to kind of give myself a starting point. And 
they were hard, they were hard still, <laughs> you know? So it's like, there's definitely is a specific piece that needs to be taken care of for this, but I just don't know what to, at what level of volume or what level of intensity needs to be. I'm going to try to take a template from what I would do with a, with a 5k or with a 10 miler and just work in more specific pieces and in, in, in terms of like what I'm looking to accomplish from like a metabolic standpoint and just try to see if I can kind of stitch them together and stick it like how it works specifically. But I don't know how much buildup that's going to need. I don't know how intense or, or where that really is going to fall. So yeah, Chicago is going to be a test for these next six to eight weeks to be a little bit more specific on, on the actual training. Was this the first sim you've done since your bulking season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it the same sim you've done prior? No, it's not. I've never done a full, ah. I know I've never done a full on sim. Cause it's just like, I don't know. It's just like the crazy, it's just like a crazy thing to do. And even this, I was going to do less running in the gym. I was at it's close. I did it on an assault runner, which a lot, which I kind of like because it needs to still be effort-based. Everything is just rated perceived exertion for these events. Like, like you said, like doing three twenties for your, your kilometers, right? Like that really means nothing in the actual event. Like it's, yeah. you're going to run what feels like that, but it's gonna be four minutes or something. So I was just kind of trying to take that element out of it completely. So no, I don't have an apples to apples sim on it from last year because I didn't, I didn't really do, I was, I didn't do a sim because I was really trying to cram the fitness last year because I didn't have like a big buildup. So I was like, everything was more of a, a specific progression to kind of build me to where I thought I needed to go. Um, as opposed to taking a huge work, a huge workout and like needing a bunch of time to recover from it. Cause it's just so big. There's just so big things, you know, it's like doing a half marathon simulation. It's like you only have so many of those efforts in you throughout yeah. the season or a given time period. You gotta be careful there. Right. And that number is 17 in a row. If you're David McGee, <laughs> I think he found it. I think he just did like, if he did like four less, he would have been good to go. Uh, good experiment. It is just not leading into nationals. I agree. I agree. So I'll probably do maybe one more that's similar to that. Cause it almost took, it took pretty long. Cause those, have you guys ever done an, a, like extended amount of time on those curved. This was a, not a true form, uh, assault runner. Have you guys, tr- I haven't, they're so much slower. So it's like, it's hard to like know what you're actually doing on it. It's probably the best possible way to prepare for a high rocks running. Cause every step on a, a manual treadmill is almost a compromised run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't glide, but I don't know. I, it sounds miserable. Yeah. So, so yes, the answer question, I'm going to try to do, try to collect that missing piece that you had in this next like six to eight weeks of training. Do you want to give us your sim or no? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was pretty straight. My time? No, you're the the layout. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's straight. Do you want to give it up? It's a straight up high rocks. Oh, you, this is your first time doing the full one. Yes. Gotcha. This is the first time doing the full one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you're going straight, straight up, literally picking all the components, roughly running the right amount of time. It was 800 meters on the on the curved treadmill, which ended up being about as long as the thousands take me, which I was bummed about because I didn't want it to be so freaking <laughs> long. I was like, oh great, now I did just sim this whole thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's always different factors. It's like you know, as close as I think it is to 80 meters of burpee broad jumps, like give or take, however much it is. But yeah, it's just it's the straight up. And like, you know, there's people in the gym. So I was like, excuse me, if I could just like slide by, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you want to dive into that more, Brackenstein? No, I'm happy with that. 
glad you're happy with that. Me too. I mean, yes, but at the end of the day, this is supposed to be a coaching philosophy episode. It usually takes us about an hour, hour 20 to get there, doesn't it? It seems to be about our big warm up timeline. Yeah. We just need a good 80 minute warm up to hit our stride. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know you're an aging endurance athlete. All right. <laughs> we had a guy on our college team that would not warm up for less than 70 to 80 minutes before running the 110 hurdles. Oh, not a distance, not a distance. Not, I thought you were saying he's no. running 10 miles. And then... No, no, no. That, Hobie used to say he doesn't think most people on this earth could make it through his warm-up. <laughs> and I, I agree. After having watched it, it was like a 40-minute leg high-intensity circuit. But I don't think most track athletes, I couldn't have made it through this guy's warm-up. And then he'd go out and run a max intensity 100 meter, 110 hurdles. That's kind of... 110. That's pretty ahead of his time. Because I've heard a minute for every year you've been on earth is kind of where your, your <laughs> warm-up should be. For what? Like, I'm thir- I'm 35, 35 minutes. That doesn't, mean thir- that doesn't mean 35 minutes of running. It just means 35 minutes of moving. Yeah. I think I took that from a CrossFit piece. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Masters racing would suck. Sure would. Dude, in CrossFit, I am Masters. Kirk, you're Masters. Brad, what? You're 34? 34. All right, you're not Masters yet. What do you have to be in Masters? 36? 35 in, in CrossFit. No. Yeah, we're there. That's weird. I know. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, really weird. Why aren't you, what is the, I mean, that term, what is it with women's pregnancy? Like you're a geriatric pregnancy if you're over, what, 30? Oh, yeah, yeah. Five or something? Like that's, pick it. Pick a different word. Give <laughs> <laughs> me a synonym. Yeah. I don't know that exact age, but geriatrics for sure the term. Um, all right. Let's do this thing, guys. So um, I, I know you don't listen to our podcast. Often. You Sometimes. Talk, you talk to the host every week, so why? Why? <laughs> right? It's true. Yeah, we so, might need to do a sit-down, a little counseling session here and go through all who would this. be who would be our moderator who would be the counselor i think there's only one answer mappy davis mappy davis <laughs> <laughs> where my mind went right away <laughs> straight line black and white purely moderating question asking and keep the emotion out of it see i feel like i'm the wife and you're the mistress rich and it's i don't know how to handle it because he comes home to me every night it's true but sometimes I don't know where he goes during the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First we, yeah. The OCR draft. <laughs> yeah. what, what are you calling it? OCR Fantasy League? Yes. And then we did the the bootleg world championships. Athlinks watch party extravaganza, which I did end up releasing as a podcast. Three, almost a four hour long podcast. 342 i thought i had some people message me like i listened to the whole thing i was like you are oh, a goodness. real one you are just i feel like we should patreon them <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that was that was fun that was fun doing do you have a patreon i don't i I'm, i i want to set one up for torque to try to get for torque yeah just to help with um you know race entries and stuff like that so i'll probably so you would set it up for your podcast and all of it would go towards your torque athletes yeah yeah i like that have you guys thought about doing it? Well, yeah, we're doing it for Bracken Shoe Collection. I think that that's warranted. Yeah, we're going to set one up that all the proceeds go towards the things we want in life. I think that people yeah. would donate. I think they would happily. I'll, I'll tell me something. What are, what are we getting back for it? I don't know. 
I do think that my calling in life is to be a shoe tester. Did you work in a shoe store or something? Like why, what, why is that? Why is this? What's happened? I, I put it all on East Bay magazine. Mm. I started getting that about seventh grade. Those are awesome. Yeah. Maybe sixth grade at the time it was learning about the Iverson, the questions, the answer IVs, the, the, the early Kobe's that looked like an Audi TT you had, you know, all the different Jordan retros. And I was learning about all that. And then, and then baseball gloves, they had a Mm. lot, they were a big foot football, basketball, and baseball magazine. And then they shifted with running. And that was like one of my hobbies. They got ESPN, the magazine, sports illustrated, East Bay and car and driver. And my brother and I would just pour through those and memorize everything about all the stuff in there that we didn't know what else. Like, that's what we thought you did. There was no internet at the time. And I always liked showing up to a competition in a pair of shoes that no one had ever heard of. So like in seventh grade basketball, yeah. everyone shows up to Coles or whatever, or, or Dick's or whatever, and buys a pair of cool looking shoes. I made sure to get something you could order only order out of a catalog to just set myself apart on the court. And that just, it snowballed from there. So East Bay, the magazine. It started off. That was a great day when East Bay came. Yeah. It was all Wisconsin, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, I think East yeah. Bay, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, isn't it out of Oshkosh or something like that? Wausau, but regardless. Yeah, it could be Wausau. But final score was their discount bin magazine. And that would come out a couple times a year with just huge markdowns. And then, at that point, it was helpful to already know the stats on the stuff. So I knew if it was a good deal or not. Mm. So funny sizes though. And those like, it's hard to get a good deal from East Bay. It was always like size sevens. Cause that money was coming right out of your piggy bank bracket. You want to make sure you got that good deal on those. We growing up in the Crocker house, again, our household was not the typical household, but once a year, every school year, we got $25 towards shoes. So that was it. So outside of that, all my stuff, yeah, I had to, I shovel sidewalks or rake leaves or go around the neighborhood. And so then I really wanted to make sure that if I'm spending my own money, I got to be getting something that's performing. And that laid the groundwork for me today. Needed a Patreon back then, you know, that would have worked. So that's a, that's a satisfaction. I just figured you were working somewhere in a, a shoe store at some point. Mm-hmm. You're, you already have all this. No, in fact, I don't think I could. You could probably rep a brand or something. No, I'm saying like, I don't think I could stomach it. Why? I have no tolerance for bad salesmen and I couldn't be around that environment. I know some really good salesmen, shoe salesmen that know their stuff, but the vast majority of stores don't. I just, I wouldn't want to be, you have to move certain products and I just want to tell people exactly what shoes are good and what aren't. And That's kind of how running stores are. Are they though? Yeah. Like Roadrunner Sports or something like that is not, right? And like, like finish line in the mall, they'll try to sell you insoles or something. But like most places that at least um, like, what is it? Running fun, running fun, fun and run. Mm-hmm. I'm going. Run yeah. Fun. yeah. Like, uh, like you, go, fun, yeah. you go to that spot. They'll hook you up. I've been to a couple Minneapolis based. Yeah. Someone asked me this weekend why I don't try to get a shoe company to sponsor me because I'll sell the crap out of their shoes. <laughs> and I think it's because I can't pick one brand. I couldn't do that to anyone. I kind of agree. Yeah. There's too much good stuff. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. All right, boys. All right. Now I have to preface everything now with I'm cutting this shit off at two hours. Okay. <laughs> so that leaves us X amount of time. We've gone 208 in this series. I know, but I got stuff to do. Don't you what guys could have be, lives? What, what could be better? 
Rich and I will finish off. Yeah, we you. can go. On, you can go on ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys would finish off without me. I uh, <laughs> I gotta start and end this podcast because I'm the moderator. I control the buttons, fellas. Rich, I'll send you the login. <laughs> that was that was pillow talk for us. All right, um, we're gonna ask you just a handful of questions. And some of them are pretty elementary. Some are. Have you heard any of these episodes? I didn't. I didn't listen to these ones. Good. Yeah. Good. For that reason. Now you can't just steal everyone's. Yeah. I want my thoughts to be my own. That's that's one of the reasons why I don't always listen to you guys. I like my thoughts to be my own thoughts. You guys have good thoughts. <laughs> I don't want your thoughts to be my thoughts. I want my thoughts to be my I respect that. I don't listen to any running podcasts anymore. Yeah, because it is like that. It really it's is. It's too easy to regurgitate. It really is. Because then you think about it, you go for a run, you think about it for two hours, and now it's on your mind, and then it comes out as your thought, and you don't give the proper proper credit where you heard it. 100%. You don't know where it came from. You don't know what the context ends up being. What kind of ha- create, like, having that in my hands? No, I respect that, Rich. Thank you. All right. Nice. Um, <laughs> so, three philosophy questions. We don't need to preamble this too much. Um and then just go, right? You can give me one word answers or the entire novels. I don't really care. Whatever feels right in your heart. Um, first of all, what is your philosophy on, um, this is like high-end performance based, so like performing well. Your philosophy on the use of treadmills for uh, runners and endurance athletes in regards to top-end performance. Top-end performance, I think it's okay for aerobic development. Um, most top end performers are going to be having a good sense of where pacing is. That's typically where I'll kind of draw a line. If like you struggle with learning what feels like what, um, so like top end performance, we talk like, so I think like an age group athlete for sports. If you're looking to get to be your best, like is there, where is the time and place? If there is any kind of thing. Definitely aerobic, uh, aerobic development, easy runs, uh, hill training, for sure, long hill bouts, uh, recovery runs. But I think if you're going to learn pace, you got to take that out outside of like that's a struggle of yours. If you can't, if you don't have a good rate of perceived exertion, like then you need to leave the treadmill. So what about all those people, especially the newbies who that's their first default is like, I can't pace myself. So I'm going to go to the treadmill to do it because every workout I positive split and they always like by default, it's a frustrating thing as a coach. Like you did that damn thing on the treadmill again. Well, of course you're going to go out and race like shit because you have no idea how to control your effort. What do you think? Like, what do you do with that? I think they have to race like shit at, at, at first. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, where did it, what happened? And it's like, where did things go wrong within the race? And it's like, oh, I went out too hard or I didn't finish strong enough. It's like, okay, like we need to work on the actual skill of pacing and like the treadmill runs for you a little bit a little bit it does you know so like you lose the sense of how things are feeling in those moments um so yeah i think they just kind of have to not perform well until this has come up twice now letting athletes bomb and having the confidence in them and in yourself that you will continue the relationship afterwards because it's really tempting as a coach with a newer athlete with one thing coming up to just prep them perfectly to make sure the first race makes them say, Oh, you're good. You know, that's, that's a tough thing for a lot of people. It's very hard. It's very tough. And like, this is something that I've really put a, this is not the, the question that we're the on anymore, but is like setting a, an appropriate timeline for what they, when they can expect to be the athlete that they want to be. It's like, 
it's not six months. It's not three months. It's not 12 months. It's not like, I can't do that for you. You know, I was like, if you're committed for four or five, six years, not necessarily us working together, it's like, then you might get those results. But like this first race, like, I don't want to tell them it's not going to go well, but like, you might not be the athlete you want to be by Jacksonville, mm-hmm. you know? A little bit of a tangent, but with how much Bracken we've been talking about, you know, racing less to perform better when you do and, you know, you know, having a true off season and all of that. How many of your athletes have come to you and been like, I'm going to race less next year. I'm getting certain to get these like tentative race schedules coming out and I'm just beaming with pride because everybody's like slashing their number of races by like a third. It's fantastic. Are you guys experiencing that or no? They've all learned their hard lessons. They're racing still and they're fried. Like they still got another race on the schedule and they've, they've run six in the last eight weeks to finish home and they're just done. It's when they want to train for a specific thing, but it's like we could, but like, it's like we have to account for these race efforts, no matter if we're racing through it, like you're training through it. You still did something that like we have to mm-hmm. account for the recovery piece. So yeah, more than that, more than have been before. And I think it's because of, this is our like post COVID year. Hmm. People got to rip the bandaid off, like throw the chains off, burst through the door. There's a whole lot of, a lot of metaphors used <laughs> for what they've been doing, but like they're, they've been set free and they're gobbling up every race in sight. Even people that haven't done this historically who understand yeah. I race best on 10 to 12 races a year. They're like, I didn't race anything for 18 months. Let's just race. And now they're coming back down to earth. Like it was cool. Yeah. I got that out of my system. Now let's get back to work. Yeah. I think that's fair. And at that moment, it's like, yeah, go ahead, do it. Like go and go mm-hmm. be with your community, go hang out with your friends and just, we'll, we'll figure it out. What's the most races you guys have run in a year, Sp- including Spartan. If you jumped in some road races, like in recent, the last five years, let's say. Hmm. Cause I'm at like nine. I, I had close to a 30 one year, one of my early years in the sport. That's when you're trying to like make money. Like, is it with like, yeah, it was new. I had free travel everywhere. Unlimited. Damn. Yeah. And so like we were young, married couple. I was just jetting. Wow. And it wasn't deep. So you knew you could pick up a social media. Wasn't a thing yet. You could find a race that had prize money going on and then no one might know about it. So you could, you could really scour the, the internet and, and sneak races in. And so I did a lot of that for a year or two. Yeah. I can't blame me on that. <laughs> like trying to make a living for it, but yeah, I'm probably with you, Kirk, 10. Yeah. And half of the, and Maybe. two of those were like a sprint, super, super sprint weekend. So that's Something. like four right there. Yeah. Like a local yeah. 5k. Yeah. That's paying for travel on my own. I've never had the private jet situation, like drop me off at the start line deal. So that's probably most of the reasons, at least in the beginning is like, cost of things is a big barrier for sure. Oh, for sure. Going back to like my, that shoe addiction talk, I was researching shoes yesterday and today because all the new shoes came out at the the running event mm. down in Texas. And someone was complaining online about Ultra. They were like, they've been nothing but crap for the last few years. Ever since they sold out to that new company, like they're off the rails, they're alienating all their old their old fans. And this looks like the first promise in a while. I hope they don't like bone us again. And someone in the industry chimed in, like, just remember, it takes about two years for a vision of a shoe to make it. So there's a good chance that this was their vision from day one, and they were still having to complete the old one. So like, it it was just interesting to hear an insider, like, this is, 
your process isn't you get bought and the next day you put out an awesome product. Mm -hmm. Rich, you talked about that. Like you, you've got to set a reasonable timeline for your improvement from a new stimulus. So I'm glad you said that because that is tough. People want the boom. I made a decision. I want my results to match my enthusiasm right now. And even just the the consistency of what long-term progress will like what is needed for long-term progress, I think is the main thing, right? It's like, mm-hmm. and if you're able to set an appropriate timeline, it's easier to stomach the, like the results along the way. It's like, Hey, you're not there yet, but like your goal is to be there in 2027, you know? So like, yeah, you didn't podium this time, but like I'm trying to, and it helps get people away from results too. You know, it's like, yeah, more process, process stuff at that point. That's a good one to remember too. Sorry, last little piece of that, Kirk, that we're not the only ones who make our commitment. Like you may have just had a bad race and you said, never again, I'm committed. I've got Rich Ryan as my new coach and next spring is going to be awesome. But if you're the product of what you've done over the last two or three, five years, if someone made that same commitment last spring, they're going to be the new improved version by this race. And you're like, not everyone's commitment timetable aligns either. Mm-hmm. And there are some people this year who said, I just had my best off season ever. And I'm running faster everywhere and my average times are dropping and I'm finishing worse than last year. Mm. It's like, yeah, because like you're not alone. Mm. Everyone's out there grinding. And some people might have started their grind eight months before you or 18 months. Right. And that doesn't mean that their ne- your next 12 months of training will yeah. accelerate your progress beyond them. So stick it out. Stick it out. That's it. Yeah. That's it. What's next? Philosophy on how to pick or choose the right shoe for a runner. Do you have any underlying like personal biases as well in regards to shoe choice? So I actually did work for a running shoe company for a long time and like they're and like trying to fit people with shoes, their whole philosophy that I did kind of pick up from them is like, what experience do you want from your footwear? It's like, and then kind of working them through, it's like, do you like cushion? Well, what about, what about firm cushioning? What about like springy cushioning and explaining the difference of like what they want to feel? Cause this question, this question is the absolute worst on like message boards or something. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, I, what shoes should I wear? It's like, I like this. I like this. And everybody has a different preference on the experience that they want. So I think yeah. it does kind of come back to us. Like, what do you want it to feel like? Like what, and like, what's it for? What are your options? Like, what are the feeling like options? Well, it's like, first, I think I typically is like, are you looking for a lot of cushion or are you looking for like, and then like, do you want it to be firm or do you want it to be? Uh, I think the plush? average runner puts on a pair of shoes and they're like, want it to be squishy and comfy and bouncy and gibby like a, not always. Well, I feel like the, like the new runner or the inexperienced just wants to put it on and feel like there's pillows hugging them. And then they put on something, let's say like an ultra or like something with a low stack height and they're like, ew, I can feel the floor through this thing. That's bad. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think that's like an introductory point. Everybody just wants pillows on their feet. I could be wrong. It's like where it's like, Oh, what do you like? What are you wearing now? What don't you like about them? It's like, Oh, I wear the Brooks glycerin and I like that they're pillowy, but I don't like that. They're too chunky. It's like, all right, well, like here's like the, the ghost, the Saucony ride, the Asics, uh, cumulus, like just like, these are a little bit more stripped down. If you want even something more, want something more bouncy, think like here's some, here's like three or four options and different ones. So like kind of taking where they are now and what they don't like about what they're wearing. 
Um, and then trail is a little bit easier, I think, because it's more course dependent, wouldn't you say, or like what they're going to be doing. And, but it's also trickier because it's like, there's so many different options. So it's like, you end up with a bunch of freaking trail shoes that, that actually took me a while to learn. It's like, oh, these don't all just work. This one shoe doesn't work for everything like the road. Yeah. Let's end up with a shoe. Kirk, ball. you nailed it. That first time runner wanting to feel pillowy. Do you remember your first pair of running shoes? Yeah. Do you Nike remember? Air, Nike yeah. Air Maxes and they were 3,000 pounds because <laughs> okay. yeah, I raced in those things in eighth grade. What was your first pair of running shoes, Rich? The first pair I remember really liking was uh, the Pegasus, Nike Pegasus. Nah, squishy. Squishy. Back, 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 back in the day. Sure. Back in the day, they were so squishy. The 20 was like a marshmallow. I couldn't believe it. This must have been 2002. Where are they now? I was wearing them in 2002. 38? Mm. Yeah, so maybe right around I that. believe. Yeah. My first pair, because I grew up in either barefoot basketball shoes or my wear around shoes were those Adidas Sambas, those soccer shoes. Hard rubber, flat bottom. Yeah. Indoor soccer shoes. I got a pair on the way to the first junior Olympic track race I ever did in like seventh grade. We stopped at Rogan Shoes on the way there and I got a pair. I didn't know what they were. I just tried a couple on off the discount rack because again, we were on a budget and they were just exactly what you said, Kirk. I chose the pillowiest, bounciest. I remember the tongue had like a half inch of cushion on it. I'm like, this is incredible. And I went and I raced a one mile in those and just loved them. And they were the Adidas response. Oh, that's a good shoe. I like that shoe. And I went through a ton of other shoes in in high school. And then in college, I came back to it and I ran three straight years as the, in the Adidas response. I love them. So yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It's like where when no one's ever wore a pair of running shoes before, they don't actually realize how comfortable running shoes are. And they'll, they'll be yeah. wearing like the $60 Nikes that they do sell at Kohl's or whatever, you know, like the, yeah. the, the athletic cross trainer. Um, do you guys call them tennis shoes where you got, was you grow up calling running shoes, tennis shoes? Parents did. Parents I did. The generation above us did. Tennis. Yeah. Tennis. That's, I think that's a Midwest. I don't, we didn't trainers now. Would you call them or something? I just call them like running shoes. Yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, when you first put on a good pair of running shoes, they're just so comfortable. <laughs> so like any shoes, like, oh, these are like those Allbirds. Did you guys ever come across those? Just like the casual shoes. Um, and people are like, oh my God, are those the most comfortable shoes you've ever had? I was like, like, no, but I wear running shoes all the time. Like those are unbelievably comfortable. Allbirds are like unsupportive flats. They're terrible. They're the worst. Like they were just they're like, cute. they were cute for a while. Yeah. yeah. No change up for me is I was wearing pillows for years and then somebody gave me a pair of Mizuno Wave Riders, which has a firm ride when you first put those things mm -hmm. on. And I just ran them because I had them. I was curious. And then suddenly I started to grow into them and like them and realized like, oh, my shins don't hurt nearly as much in these as they did in the pillowy ones. That's hmm. weird. Oh, my, like I was just feeling like better and I couldn't make, my, make sense of it because they were much firmer, yet I was having less pain. I was like, oh, this shoe just fits me better. It works mm -hmm. for me better biomechanically it was eye-opening have you guys ever gone minimal mm -hmm. like twice twice would you go would you go when like the merrills in high school actually not intentionally but they came out with the nike skylons i love the skyline so pretty they were one of the first lightweight trainers as far as i remember and fast as shit they had like the first version of like blown rubber in the bottoms and they would just float. it was like the precursor to lunar line what were they stacked? How stacked were they? It, it was like a lunar racer, but it was the precursor to the lunar racer, basically. So it, it was kind of like a razor. Hmm. 
It was like the first Skechers razor. Bright yellow, blown rubber, like soles, yeah. and oh, they were great. Yeah, you didn't have that 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 hard rubber that whatever that was that like that BR two thousand or whatever that outsole was. And I did everything in those shoes all winter long. And I was lighter then, but I didn't know better. And I just loved them. And then I went, just kind of moved on from it because they stopped making that shoe. Mm. And then uh, post-collegiately, when I started racing OCR, I talked about this on one of our last episodes, I I realized I I hadn't run long races ever in racing shoes. And I could make it 5K, five miles, mm. and then my form would break down. So I thought, logically, I should spend more time in minimal shoes and training. And I did the classic jump into it too fast. and Got yourself hurt. Did you get some Vibrams? See the whole deal? <laughs> no. I, I mean, I switched down into, like, I trained in in DS trainers in college towards the end. That's funny that those were like a minimal shoe then, but they're like a light support shoe. Yeah. They're like my tempo interval shoe then. Mm -hmm. And then I had the hyper speeds for track work. But so then I moved down one from there into like the, maybe the Noosa try or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I tried, I tried a couple like training in flats and I tried to change my form to fit them and I just wasn't good at it. So I just went back to the cushiony stuff on recovery days Tempo shoes on tempo day, minimal on speed days, and then long runs. I kind of alternate between. I'll do long runs in light stuff to toughen my legs and long runs and pillows. And this is like the experience part, right? It's like like seeing where the, where you are on the spectrum and what you like and when you like them uh, is kind of like, I think you should try a lot of different things. Even last year to this year. Last year, I had to run in Hoka's exclusively because my knees were so raw. Mm. This year I got done with Tennessee mile and I thought if I did it next year, I might choose something a little lighter with better four foot lockdown and upper lockdown. So my feet didn't slide. And I think I could get away with less shoe. And that thought never would have crossed my mind last year. So like your evolution as an athlete, isn't just like linear. There's, there's loops in there and all sorts of weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And your feet are no different. I don't think. We always uh, joked about duct taping Birkenstock sandals to your feet would be about the best option you can come up with. <laughs> You guys never did that. They were just no. so damn comfy yet firm. Um, Birkenstocks? Those were, those were popular in the early 2000s. That's ever, you look at everything. I owned a pair of Birks, mm -hmm. but I couldn't run in those babies. They molded your feet. We'd drunkenly run home from college parties and those things and be like, yes, if I could just strap this thing to my foot tighter, I would go sub four for sure. Your cargo shorts and your pop collar <laughs> yeah. bouncing. You got it. I never popped the collar. I wasn't that big. Ooh, I popped. I got douchey enough that I had... At one point, my freshman or sophomore year of college, double two polos on. Oh God! Geez. Whoa, we did the double pop. That changes. That changes how I look at you a little. If I'm being honest, that doesn't fit your mo at all. Lisa bought. Lisa bought into that. No, no, I was freshman saw. I didn't meet her until my three and a half year of college. Did you go out and it was like a phase. pretend you wanted to be in a fight, but knew you really didn't want to be in a fight? I didn't have a <laughs> visor on, Rich. Oh, okay. <laughs> He had no hair to stick up the top. No, then you did. All right. Did you use a moose? Uh, a bit in high school, but by the time I got to college, I was buzzing. All right. Um, Rich, what are your philosophies on strength training for runners? Super generic. Give me, give it to me. Just lift the weights, man. Just lift them all. Uh, low, I think for runners in, in particular, I think – it is helpful. I wouldn't necessarily say it's mandatory. I think it is depending on how much time you have to spend on it. We're talking runners, road runners, right? Not obstacle athletes. 
running as a standalone skill currently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In terms of power production and uh, running economy, I think it is only going to help being in the low rep ranges, working high weight will just make you stronger and be able to make you produce more power without necessarily wanting to bulk up quote unquote. I think that's quite a bit of a misnomer as well. It's like the nutrition end, like we spent a bunch of time talking about, it's like how you're going to really add size. So like, diving in and, and trying lifting heavier compound lifts and not overthinking it. So I think two days a week is a good place to start. If you can fit it in the schedule, you know, compound movements, squats, lunges, deadlifts, you know, maybe a pull and a press just to keep things in balance. Uh, and like I said, just low, low reps, heavyweight. What's low for you? Uh, probably like five and under six, six and under. Just to counterbalance all the catabolic nature of endurance training. Yeah, you can get a, get a hormonal response from it if you get heavy enough. Like I think it'll take some time. If you're just starting out, I think working in that 8 to 10 to 12 rep range is okay, just so you can get the movement patterns down. And like you'll still see some strength gains for sure if like you're just like real new to the gym, get those newbie gains. But once you're training pretty hard, um, you know, you, you don't want to spend a ton of energy there if you have a lot of, of work to do um, on the actual roads, but the, the strength in the power production part, like it's, it's low hanging fruit, you know, it, like to, mm-hmm. to make sure that to improve in places that's not just pounding the pavement. So if you take somebody running 50 miles a week and give them two strength workouts, let's say they're training for a marathon, mm-hmm. 50 miles a week, two strength workouts or 75 miles a week and no strength workouts. What do you pick for a marathon? Let's put um, you in a, between a rock and a hard place here, Rich. Come on. I just want to find out how important it is. <laughs> I mean, probably the 75 and no strength training. Okay. If there's not any type of history of injury. Uh, and I think that there, yeah, I, I just think that that's going to be more important if, if you're, if you're time crunched, OCR, I think is a different thing. I think that it does need to be carved into and because the strength component does actually play into performance. But if you're, if you're needing to choose for marathon or like for yeah longer distance training, it's probably gonna be the miles. So what is mandatory then? Is there a certain amount of anything that's mandatory for a runner for even injury prevention? Or or can you say that if you don't have time, you can just get away without? Like, is there anything you're saying everyone has to or should at least do this, even if you're not lifting twice a week? I think something like a like joint mobility, just like trying to like work that like your, your joints are able to move in, in certain motion in certain areas. And, and I think that that would do as much for a runner who's trying to maximize their ability to run a fast marathon just because it's going to help keep them healthy. Making sure your brain knows your body can still work in these different ways is really important. So like strength training, I think helps people get those movement patterns in place and something that's a little more structured, but I don't necessarily think anything's mandatory. Okay. I have a follow-up to that then, which is I am a personal believer that strength training leads to less breakdown in form later in the race, specifically because you engage areas of your muscles that are running specific that don't get engaged until you're moving at a very fast pace or a very fatigued state when you run. Mm-hmm. So do you actually program athletes differently or would you in theory if they're not strength training versus if they are in order to stave off form breakdown or to work on force production? So 
So you're asking if like the strength training might help give them a mechanical advantage in terms of like power production or something like that, that would you, yeah. Or cramp prevention or ability to, to finish hard through, through, through muscular fatigue or breakdown. Okay. But because you're would fatigue those muscles in, in a gym quicker, say than running on a flat, flat road, right? Would that kind of be the idea behind it? I guess it depends on how much volume the person can put in. You know, like if you're, if you're running enough, I think you'll probably get there. Okay. Um, where, and that might be, uh, to Kirk's initial question, like if you can't get to that 75 miles, like if you just like your body just can't do it, then maybe then you are the 55 and two strength training sessions per week. It's going to be specifically targeted to fatigue that area to make that a little bit more, uh, fatigue resistant. But, um, I think if volume's high enough for most runners that I think that they would probably be able to get there. Cause you can then, if your volume's high enough then you can probably do a little bit more speed work and, and high end capacity work. So yeah, I think that's my answer. And Hey, and I love strength training. I don't want it to come off. Like I'm not mm. okay. Just, 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 just being real. I think if it's for the hormonal response alone, it's worth it. And I think of all of our guests, I think Matt Fitzgerald has said it best, even better than you, Rich Ryan. And his answer was yes to that question. <laughs> Meaning if we don't split hairs, that's okay. But just getting under some sort of di- distress and load and stimulus. It, I mean, eventually you're going to split hairs if you're real nerdy into this and want to really max squeeze every ounce of you know lemonade out of that lemon. But like, yes, simple as that, right? I kind of like, I kind of buy it. You want to do a bunch of reps? Go for it. You want to lift heavy, do five sets of three, go nuts. True. Like if you're going to get some sort of adaptation, which will probably benefit you, just pick your things wisely. I don't know. Did he write that in a book? Like that seems like a lame chapter. Like that's it. (laughs) I'm not going to pick a fight with you just because Rich is here, but I actually liked Alec's response more than Matt's. Alec gave good responses on all the No, no. His one line, which is all things being equal. Yes. But all things are never equal. I liked mm, that a lot. A more nuance. Yeah, some gray there. <laughs> and I'm I'm the king of hedging bets, so I re- real recognize real. You can you can you want to fight about it or something? No, I'm just saying I like that Alec gave a black and white answer in a gray format, <laughs> and that's skillful. Yeah, that's, just that's, just t- that's, took it all. That's, just took it that's all. Stuff to do. Yeah. Um, how many days a week? So you asked about strength bracket. How many days a week? Like what is going to get you 95% of the way there as far as number of days you should run per week? Um, let's injury aside, capabilities aside, like how many days do you need to run per week if injury is not an issue? We're talking 5K to marathon distance, trails, roads, OCR, doesn't matter. How many days per week are going to get you 99% of the way there? Uh, six to seven most of the time. I mean, like taking a couple of days off per month. I think it's a better way than per week. I think you can do seven for sure. If you're, if you're on top of all your other stuff and you can stay injury free. Um, and that's with, again, I'm doing the, like the hedging thing too. It's like if your nutrition is in order, if your sleep is in order, like, I think that these rest days are helpful to let people actually recover. Uh, but if you, I think you can recover while still working out every day. Why are you the only person that said that? Almost every other coach has said somewhere between three and five will get you 90% of the way there, maybe higher. What is your, I'm not challenging you, but most people have some hesitancy to just say, yeah, you can run seven days a week. Why are you confident enough to say that? I, well, 
my gut response to that is because there is this compulsion for endurance athletes to take it a little bit too far. So it's better to keep people on the lighter end and let them know it's like, you'll still get fit as long as you are progressing in a certain manner. Mm-hmm. But I think if that is not something that you need to abide by, if you don't have this compulsion to do more too much or that it's not something that is necessarily running your life is around the work that you're doing every single day. And that it is for the purpose of um, whatever your why is quote unquote, then I think that that's fine. I don't think that you need to necessarily hold back because of the amount of evidence that is pushed towards like the personality trait of an endurance athlete. I think, you know, each person still there can make their own decisions and, and I think that if you run more, you'll be better. Yeah. As long as you're following some sort of polarized training script. Yeah. It can't just be, yeah, right. Like you can get much better if you run every single day, but as long as some days are like really light. <laughs> so do you have a pretty high modulation of intensities or even durations throughout a week for most people that you give? Because it sounds like you would just script more runs than the average coach. So do you really, do you script your recovery through duration rather than through off sometimes sometimes and if it's and it'll i'll probably take it away from running uh usually put it more toward cross training when i'm when i'm actually programming it's like this is low impact because most of the people and that's nothing most people probably shouldn't run that much until they get to a certain point and i guess like that's splitting hairs like what is 90 percent of the the effort you're getting and i think i missed that part of it because i'm like i'm like talking about maximizing things i said 95 to 90 i i use a little higher percentage bracket okay okay so then would you change your answer if the percentage was 90 percent? what would get you 90 percent of the way there or for you is that splitting hairs like run as much as you can run always and stay healthy doing it why would you want to get like 90 percent there i don't what do we i don't get i don't i don't think i understand the question touche touche I think that's a fair reply. Mm-hmm. The you know the the single like mom with building? Three, the single yeah. mom with three kids who has to budget her time. Okay, you know we're not speaking from you know point forget point of privilege more like the person who's listening to this who's uh, stuck in traffic on the way home has to make dinner right right and trying to figure it so out. Generally, how much should you run if you want to improve? Right, like yeah. sure, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, like then. Somewhere that fits your life, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That makes it a little it's bit a tough trickier. One to answer for that makes it a little bit that makes it a little bit trickier. You know, like there, then there's really not a number. Sometimes it the an example of a uh this um a guy who I was coaching now had a great season. He like had more put on his plate. He works like twenty fours and he has uh two young children and we, we almost cut his volume in half because of it. And he raced way better. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like there was a balance that he that we were going over and because of all his other life factors like the stress was still there and like we were just maybe tipping him over a little bit and we didn't know and then just like by necessity pulling him back um he actually raced really well so it's like yeah it's a very like personal question based off of who it is who the like person we're talking about is my number my number was five by the way what was yours bracken 90% of the way, I, yeah, I think five. But I also said all things being off the table injury, 10 to 14 runs per week. 
<laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. That, right, exactly. And then, um, so with this, is there a mileage that you guys had thought about that? Because that's some that's something else that. Well, oh, let's lead you into the next question. Hey, oh wow! I'm only going to go two more questions here, and I have a longer list, but we got to have our limits here. And every time I set a time limit, it never works. But you're like you being you're, you're being assertive. We're we know that I'm you trying. Got, yeah. Okay. He works with a child. He's got to have strict rules. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Um, all right. Here's the scenario. Um, race distance is 5K to marathon. Road, trail, OCR. I really don't care. You have two options. You are capped at 20 miles a week. This is for eternity. But you can do any quality work you care to. Anything. Okay. Or you can run unlimited miles but you have to stay three beats below or lower than threshold at all times in training. Okay. So unlimited miles, but we're going to stay three beats clear of threshold under or under never can breach it unless you're racing or 20 miles unlimited quality work. This is for the ge- general. We're just speaking generally for, I don't know. Do I want, do you want to know for rich personally or for the general pop bracket? Both. Um, I think most people are less developed aerobically and that the more time spent in that aerobic area will prop up their results much better than doing quality work. Um, so I would, I would say unlimited miles for the general, general pop. What are we six, six for six there, Bracken? I think so. (laughs) Is it? Yeah. Yeah. But... Just wait for twist number one. Okay. Well, do you want to explain? Do you want to explain more or no? Well, what about for you then? What about somebody who is developed in that? I guess that'd be a good question then. Yeah, and then it needs to like undulate to like kind of keep balance, right? You need to. Um, so, yeah, I guess if you're just aerobically developed, then to maximize. But would you maintain that? It would be it would be event it'd be event specific too, right? And like it'd be hard to maintain that with just how many miles was it? Twenty? Twenty or less. Ugh. No cross training? Nope. No. Yeah. Even still. Even still, I think. Yeah. Sticking with a longer, unlimited miles. Okay. Well then you led me into the the twist, which is um now let's talk for you specifically. Like really think about this, okay? 5K to marathon, 20 miles a week or less, all the quality work your heart desires, but also all the cross-training your heart desires to fill those aerobic voids. Or the unlimited miles, but still staying three beats or uh, less under threshold. What are you picking? For me? And why? Yeah. Yeah, for you. Yeah, I mean, like that, I, then I would do the quality work and try to prop up the aerobic system in the gym. To try, like, just to... and. You said unlimited quality work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, especially now. If I was, if my focus was on a Spartan Beast, still, I would probably then pick the unlimited miles. But since I'm working in a much more intense area of training where I do need to get my anaerobic system, like in in balance with my aerobic system, so I need to be able to pr- to produce that. And it takes time. It, it takes a little. It doesn't take as much time, but it takes effort that's much higher than three beats below your threshold. So like if I had the ability to, to cross train in my aerobic system, I would pick the, the quality, the quality one 
Option A. What if you were trying to run a good 10 mile on the roads? Huh. Because that kind of fits right three beats below threshold. I don't know. Uh-huh. 20 miles. That seems that, that that's probably the, the the split. I think then we're I think it's even. I think you're even then. But prob- probably the miles for a 10 mile. <laughs> probably even still. Hmm. Yeah. What would that number be? What would entice you? If you could raise that 20 mile ceiling up, what's the lowest number you would say definitely that? The lowest number. I think like the absolute lowest, like 35 maybe. The same number we heard from so it's like great oh, really? lines, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's leaning to that same way. If I could just have a little more running. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Like because you know, like, it's a bad question. No, it's good because that shows people I mean, the point of all this is to let people decide what's gonna work best for them moving forward. It shows people how much this stuff matters to coaches, that they'd be willing to avoid quality for the sake of aerobic development. But if they could do just a little more and at home, people are gonna be able to say, All right maybe 30 to 35 for me with a lot of cross training is a great place to start. If Rich would consider doing that and he's a 51 minute 10 miler, I think that's enough for me. If just like thinking about if someone came to me, it's like, I can't, I can't run any more than 20 miles per week. I would have a real hard time telling them that they're going to get much better. You know, it's like, it's, I can still hit it hard. Where would you put these cross training hours? What's your hierarchy of the, of equipment? Uh, I think uh, probably bike to start for general population is easier to access. Most people have it and can like learn how to do it. Probably an indoor bike. If you're not skilled at outdoor biking, mm-hmm. um, those concept two bikes are actually awesome. Have you guys been on those? Do you like those? There's, no, I've not been on one. The uh, uh, assault bikes is just too easy. It's like for me, I know it, Kirk is your jam, but like, I, I have a tough time like getting in that middle. Like I'm either too far or I'm like too low. The concept two ones, I can kind of get into a good, like a rope, like spot where I would be, be like what my aerobic run would be. Um, How is it different than a regular spin bike? Um, it's still that wind resistance base instead of the, uh, like a spin bike, it's um, like friction base, right? Like you tighten it. So it is it. still a, it has a, it's a fan, a, a fan rather than a flywheel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's just legs. It's just legs. It's a smaller, it's a much smaller fan than than like what the assault bike would be um yeah i'd probably go bike just because most people know how to use it then probably rower um then skier i actually like the skier the best i think that thing rules and that thing can get my heart rate jacked and that's one thing you're standing so your heart's gonna have a little bit harder time pumping blood through so from a heart rate perspective it'll probably be better than a rower because you're still sitting on a rower and and on a bike but um yeah probably bike for most people just because they know how to do it all right 10 second answer. Okay. I'm looking at buying one machine, rower or skiering for me. For you? You got to go rower. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the rower is just easier to do more on. More on. Okay. I got one I'm looking to get rid of. Actually? It's a Z-Bex. It's not the best <laughs> yeah. one out there, but I was gifted It'd Make it. it easier for me to qualify for the games. <laughs> <laughs> the seat is missing one sort of... Uh, I don't know, something that makes it roll nice. So there's that. For <laughs> resistance. <laughs> Anyways, ball bearing, I think it's missing something. Like skateboarding with three wheels. It's like that, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to spend more time on the rower. The skier is a little bit exhausting. But you can get on a rower and go right away. 
Okay. Okay. Last question. And congratulations. You're going to be our longest coaches. episode. <laughs> yes. Um, which is what I was trying to avoid. So, all right. You get one. I'm asking cup. two either way. I don't care, Kirk. What are, yeah. what are, are you no matter what? Just do do yours. I'm asking two. You either it's it's one of these or it's not. All right. Uh, <laughs> you, you get no respect for this man's time over here. All right. You got you got one workout. Uh, your quality flashy workout. It's the only one you can repeat for the rest of time. You have to pick one, and you live and die by this one workout. Quality workout. Uh, for the roads, the trails, and OCR. So you get three different workouts. 5K to marathon distance again. So one road workout, one trail workout, one OCR workout. What would all of your three workouts be? Okay. So for the road, it'd probably be like three to four by mile. Let's call it four by mile if I have unlimited. Um, you can mileage. mess with the rep ranges, I think, right? Okay. Read a lot yeah, I mean, mile, mile repeats at your uh yeah what we consider like a threshold pace at with a minute recovery so three to four to five by mile with a minute with short recovery between um for the road for sure no longer than a minute i chose bigger recovery i think but well he chose your distance with my intensity and recovery split our workouts in half rich look at you so you did what'd you say two by two mile no i said mile repeats but but, fast uh, yeah, I want them a little harder with a little more recovery. What, like 5K pace? Uh, five five to 10K pace. Okay. And, and Bracken shows thousands at what? Or three-minute intervals at what? That threshold was 60 seconds. Oh, and just that's a good one, too, because you could do a – I'm actually doing something real similar to that right now because you can do a ton of those. You can do, like, 15 of those if you wanted to. But, yes. Okay, yeah. And if I was – another one I was thinking – anyway. So then for OCR – yeah, I'd have to move it to the trail, just like fart like on a trail, you know, one by and just like mixed recovery and mixed speed just to help with rate of perceived exertion, um, something over uh, some sort of varied terrain, um, not as flashy, like a compromise style workout or any type of carry workout. It's still like terrain based, um, I think would be could where you I would be. be more, could you be more specific? Uh, so it'd be like one minute. And this is just very general. Uh, one minute hard, one minute easy, two minutes hard, two Rich, minutes easy. This is the only workout you can do for the rest of your life. I would keep it pretty specific. <laughs> two minutes hard, two minutes easy, three minutes hard, three minutes easy, and just like repeat. And just do it over. One, two, three, like what do you know? One, two, three, far, like over hills, varied terrain. For OCR or uh, trail racing? There's That's a trail OCR. race and oh, I would pro- do I have the option for both? Yep. Yeah. Oh. Um, so that was your trail workout. Yeah. We'll call that trail. Cause that's on trail. Uh, and then for, yeah, OCR was going to do something specific, but probably I would do something what, uh, Bracken, what your workout was like three minutes at maybe less intense than threshold. Uh, this would be like OCR beast on some sort of incline. So either like a hilly course, three minutes, hard 60 seconds recovery at like, what would be like, half marathon effort something like that's where you can really amass a lot of climbing with short recovery so yeah call it 10 by 330 with 60 seconds at half marathon effort uphill uphill uphill. and then that would assume that so you would say like keeping the strength keeping the strength and the run work separate even for ocr would be your preferred 
training? Uh, at a certain level. Yeah. Yeah. For me, a lot for of people me. abide by that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think like it's helpful for like having people learn how to move in and out of stuff and of the compromise stuff is helpful to a certain point, but it's still like still fitnessy. You know, I think this will get you the best, the best fitness. What'd you guys pick? I know, I know the listeners have heard, but I haven't heard. We, I mean, Kirk went miles on the road at a little faster than 10 K. I went thousands at a little slower or three minute intervals to make universal. I went five minute repeats on varied terrain. Same thing. I took the miles and translated them to, you know, just hammering over. Yeah. And I did what we call shoots and ladders, hard up a hill, hard down rest. For trail down, OCR. Up, rest. That's for, for, trail. for trail. Up and down hill reps of three to five minute reps. Yeah. And then uh, for OCR, we both went very specific compromised workouts. Although I did waffle between the drag and the tempo, like the KDE between that and like the OCR mile repeats where you, you chose OCR 400s, right? Uh, that was my backup. I actually did Hobie Tempo. Uh, Hobie mm. Tempo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Run, lunge, burpee, brow, jump, lunge, run. Yeah. Repeat. Yeah. And I was thinking of it just like on a mount- for a mountain course. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's hard for me to like distinguish the two. Well, yeah. Those are the ones that are going to break your soul if you're not ready for the uphill. So yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Kirk. I'm going to be quick. First of all, Rich, I'm asking the Kirk question. You have to know... You're preparing for one running event. I don't care what style of running it is, 5K through marathon, but all your eggs in one basket to PR for eternal wealth and happiness, but you don't get to coach yourself. You have access to any coach on the planet. Who are you choosing? Huh. I I have never even come close to thinking about this question. You've never considered outsourcing your, your running. I mean, I have, I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with you Bracken at uh leaderboard. I had a coach before that as well. Um, but never to the point. It's like, Oh, if there was one person, I have no idea. Um, I know I, uh, a good friend of mine, his dad is Mick Byrne, who was, <laughs> yeah, he was, he went to Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Um, and I met him once before and I thought he was great for, that's what I think about my coaching experience, right? Is like what I thought I felt like I missed in college and like this, the type of overseer. Um, and yeah. so it wouldn't necessarily even be something about like nuts and bolts. It'd be more. No, about, it has to be the nuts and bolts. You don't get to choose at all. They, you're putting oh, no, entirely for sure. in their hands. Oh, okay. For sure. And, but I don't necessarily think there's a coach that's going to have the nuts and bolts more, not necessarily more than anybody else. Oh, I, yeah, I think there's ways to do it. I think it'd be more of like uh, the relationship piece. Um, that I would really want that I think would be the most helpful for me. So somebody that has more like the soft skills of things. So I w- I'll, I'll say Mick Byrne. Loved him. He was great. I haven't gotten that answer before. Roll us out, Rich. Take us to the bridge. What's one thing some everyone here needs to hear today? Everyone listening. I think we touched on it a lot before. Just have a timeline. Stick to it. Be consistent. Be committed to being consistent. And just don't focus on the results. Focus on the process. It's all about the process here in Philadelphia. So, but really it is like process first, worry about the results and getting too hung up on the results is just can be demoralizing and uh, not great for long-term progress. Kirk, you got a roll. Did you see that guest appearance there? <laughs> it did. <laughs> I will say this, Rich and I, as, as I've well documented on here, everyone knows that I went to you for some... So for some mentoring, for some consulting, for some headspace work and some of the physical fine tuning of the training. And you were consistent with that, which was, 
how the question you said a couple times is how long are you willing to work for before you're going to decide if you're back? Mm-hmm. Like you were thinking in years, not months. And that, that was from the start, from our first conversation, you were consistent on that. And let's stay away from things that are going to cause you to start worrying about results mm-hmm. and setbacks. So that is, you've been consistent about that from day one. And it's been a positive influence on me. Great. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm excited what your season is going to look like with this mindset and like with that long-term approach, because you've been sticking with it and it's, it's already coming around. Yeah. I have both of you guys to thank for that. So I'm appreciative to have, you know, we talk about who's your five, you know, you two sit in that and I, I, I appreciate it. It's been helpful. I think everyone can take something out of every one of these episodes we've talked about, but I can firsthand vouch for the two of you of what you've given me to selfishly move forward with. Appreciate that. And it is true, Rich, man. Like people, people live and die too much by the results of everyday training. And typically uh, you're going to have unfavorable ones sprinkled in there every single week. Mm -hmm. You got to take a step back and just trust the process. So true. So true, man. Well, I appreciate you fellas. This was fun. I'm glad I was the fourth time on longest one of these series. Keep me on top. Let's see what the downloads say, Rich. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Listen, if we don't crack 2K by by the first 24 hours, I'm pulling this episode. Get it out of here. The Reinforced Running Public Podcast, episode four. Or are, you, are you guys at 200 yet? No, this will be, uh, we've had 96 training Tuesdays. This will be the 96th interview. So we're close. Right we are eight and... shy. Yeah. What are you at, Rich? Just got 200 on Monday. You hit 200 this week. I hit 200 yes. this week. Yeah. Well, wow. it was 199, but then I put out that silly a million hour podcast. So I was your, th- I was your 200. You were 199. VJ was 200. That's fair. That's also pretty good. good. Pretty good. Mm. We're going to have to drum up something big for 200, Kirk. Yeah. We'll be catching in about two months. Don't worry, Rich. You've been slowing down on the uh, the recording. So it's true. It's I'm, only I a matter a little, of time, baby. Had a little you bit of lead. Too hard. You went out too hard. Now you're fading home, brother. Hanging on. Hanging if, on. Yeah. You got married. Now you're about to move across the country. You're screwed. I, I did miss. <laughs> that was the first week I missed in a long time of getting married. And I was like, sorry. I had to do People it. are very understanding when you miss episodes. We yeah. found that out. No, they are not. <laughs> All right. Let's end this. Thing. All right, dudes. See you, man. See ya. See you, Rich. Thank you.